listening to The Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema with Big Willie and the Samurai, bringing class to trash since 1977. Good morning, everybody. The Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema is back on the air. Episode number 22. The Deuce Deuce. Yeah, the Double Deuce. The Double Deuce. <laughs> isn't, that the road, isn't that from Roadhouse? Uh, I don't know. Maybe. I think that's the name of the club that uh, Hunky Swayze uh, goes to clean up is the Double Deuce, I think. I think it might be, actually, yeah. <laughs> With nice. a mullet that you can only compare to the Boz. <laughs> or, or maybe Roddy Piper as well, because we'll be speaking about that mullet here in a little while. <laughs> we will. I think it's more in line with the uh, the Piper mullet, the sort of flowing <laughs> yeah. tender side. Yeah, the one that looks like it's blow dried. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so we are back, and uh, yeah, we got uh, some interesting stuff to talk about today. A couple of great films. We're going to be covering uh, the good, the bad, and the weird. From Korea and from one of our favorite directors, uh, Kim Ji-Woon, or Ji-Woon Kim. I guess depends on where you're at and how you want to say it. And uh, another little film. I don't know if you've ever heard of this film, actually, Will, until this week. Uh, John Carpenter's They Live. Yeah, I, you know, I'm not even that familiar with this John Carpenter character, quite honestly. Uh, I've heard the name, I think, in whispered sort of hushes uh, from time to time. But I, I may have to check out some more of his stuff because he uh, <laughs> he's an interesting fellow. Yeah, I'm definitely going to have to go to the IMDb page and check out some more John Carpenter. Just, uh, you know, I don't, I, yeah, I wonder, I wonder what else he's done. That's, uh, really? Other than The Fog, which we you know we saw, but, you know. Yeah, other than about ten films that we both adore and, and worship <laughs> at the altar of. Uh, yeah, really? <laughs> he's like a well, hero. He, he is. He is easily one of our cinematic heroes. Yes, easily. Um, it, the interesting thing too, Sammy, uh, before we get rolling here, as I had said to you, I think last week when we talked about doing the good, the bad, the weird, um, oh wow, we're doing, this is our second Kim Ji-Woon film. Um, he's our first guy to have two films, but it's in essence a photo finish because Carpenter's They Live is our second Carpenter film. So it's kind of funny that they're both in the same episode. Yeah. We always wonder who's going to be the director that has the, you know, the most films and, it uh, looks like these two guys are going to be number, you know, one and two right now. But uh, I know there's a couple other directors that are going to catch up with them pretty soon. So we'll see who gets to three first. <laughs> yes, the, the race to three is on. And I'm pretty sure it'll probably be Carpenter. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Although, honestly, it might be Kim Ji-Woon, too. So there we go. It could easily be, man. That's the thing. Or it could be Ivan Dixon, for all we know. Or, I mean, <laughs> Brian Trenchard-Smith. Actually, I think it's going to be Trenchard-Smith. but we'll It might see. be Trenchard-Smith. Yeah, you're right. All right. That's neither here nor there. We'll just go ahead and move on here. Uh, go over some you know, housekeeping here. You can send your voicemails to 206-666-5207. Emails to midnightcinema at gmail.com. That's midnight with M-I-D-N-I-T-E in the spelling there. Uh, also wanted to announce that we uh, have all of our content for the uh, Ladies Appreciation Month. I think, we're, I think we're booked up now. I think nobody else needs to call in. I think we're all booked up. So that's good news. Uh, those of you who did send in the voicemails, uh, I probably won't play them this week. I'll probably wait until closer to the month to play them, so we'll let everybody know. 
Uh, we're going to have to acquire some of these films. Uh, one of them is going to be kind of difficult, but hopefully we're going to get with our partners there at Cinema Day Bazaar, uh, at cinema-day-bazaar.com, and uh, hopefully they can help us out in finding some of the stuff. Um, also, make sure to check out Paracinema Magazine at paracinema.net. Uh, definitely check them out. Uh, get you a limited edition uh, issue, uh, you know, copy of issue number five. Really awesome. Uh, they live inspired uh, limited edition cover with the uh, words "No Independent Thought" on the front of it. Uh, if you follow me on Twitter, you, if you follow me on Twitter, you would have saw my my copy I got in the mail yesterday. So, <laughs> yeah, it, it looks beautiful in its sort of simplicity. I mean, it's just it's a real, real cool collector's edition that I think. Uh, any genre fan would want. I mean, it just, I'd said to, to Sammy off the air that I was, I wondered how long it took him to find the font to look like the font they used in, uh, in They Live. It's just a real cool looking uh, edition. Yes. Uh, also, check out Sean's uh, website, horrorcommentary.com. Uh, make sure to go over to Pop Syndicate, join up on the boards. I think we had a new member over there the other day, somebody I hadn't seen before, someone named uh, Kashmir. So if you're listening, Kashmir, I'm uh, name dropping you a little bit. I didn't know. I don't know who this individual is, but I saw one post and he was on our board, so I'm hoping that we got him on there. So, the more people, the merrier over at Pop Syndicate. So, you know, join up, be a part of the community over there. A lot of great shows over at Pop Syndicate. So, make sure to check them out. Yeah, there absolutely are. I know you and I haven't been <clears throat> quite as active on the boards lately as we would have liked to have been, but fear not. Uh, I think we're going to get back on there as soon as we can. Just it's been busy, you know, as it uh, usually yeah. is, but a little busier than usual. So. Yeah, all the all the all, in all fairness, though, even the sister shows. Uh, me and Bill from outside the cinema were talking about this. The boards are kind of, kind of, kind of quiet lately. But there's just not been a lot of news going on and things like that. But thank God for, you know, people like Hans and stuff like that, and Pickle Loaf and people who are just dropping movies left and right. So, nice stuff. Yeah, it is. And uh, that's really almost all I got. I, I really don't have a whole lot more. At least I don't think I do, unless I forgot something. Um. <laughs> I have something. It's about Podcast Alley. You had mentioned oh, it. Yes. I don't know how. I can't remember where I'd seen that you mentioned it. Maybe you just had told me. I don't know how it happened. Maybe it was a threat on the boards. But, it was um, the boards, yeah. Oh, yes, that's what it was. Um, basically, there are two, somehow, inexplicably, there are two listings for us on Podcast Alley. And we're trying to get this reconciled, but um, if their previous track record is any indication, um, we may not get it resolved for a while. Um, with that being said, if you guys could make sure you're voting for the higher ranked show, um, just because that way it kind of reflects a little bit better. Um, they're both kind of in the top 15 right now, so hopefully, um, hopefully they can get merged because it's that's you know basically double the votes almost because they're almost neck and neck. So we'll see how it goes, and also I'll uh, talk about some screening information more towards the end of our episode here. Yeah, yeah, that'd be good, and also we'll have a uh, bit of a giveaway we'll talk about too. Uh, toward the end of the show so i think that's everything here at the beginning i'm hoping again that i haven't forgotten anything so <laughs> we can uh, move into our first review so uh you know <laughs> i'm always worried i forget somebody or something but i don't think i did so if i did you can just send me an email or a voicemail and then uh berate my ass and then we'll get over it i'll, I'll get over it after i cry and you make me a bumbling fool so <laughs> All right, so with all that said, we're going to go ahead and jump into the first break, and then when we come back, get into a little film, and I say little uh, facetiously here, called uh, The Good, The Bad, and The Weird. So we'll be back after this. 
This is Bill from Outside the Cinema. If you're hearing this, then you probably like podcasts. Logical. Flawlessly logical. Well, let me tell you. If you like horror movies, exploitation films, and underground and cult films, why not check out Outside the Cinema? You gotta tell them! www.outsidethecinema.com You're a smart motherfucker. Hey, man, I try. We are back. That's one of my uh, favorite bands in the world there, Bangkok Clutch. So, Oh, that's Clutch. Yeah, that's Clutch. Very uh, blues-influenced kind of... Uh, I don't know if they're a metal band, more just like a rock band. Yeah, it's more rock. I would say I'm certainly no expert, but it does sound more rock. I say more rocky, but that evokes images of a tight gray sweatsuit wearing Italian man from <laughs> Philadelphia. There you go. They are uh, they are a lot of fun and one of my personal favorites. So thought I'd get them in there. I haven't put them on Good the stuff. I don't think I've ever put them on the show before, so that was a little something something there, I guess. Alright, so we are going to jump into our first film here, which is a little uh, I was gonna say oddity, but I don't really want to that almost sounds like an insult to the movie, so I'm not gonna call it that. But this is a little interesting uh, mixture of genres known as uh, the Good, the Bad, and the Weird, directed by one Kim Ji-Woon, or Ji-Woon Kim, uh, I guess depending on, like I say, where you're from. Uh, the basic plot is uh, the story of three Korean outlaws in 1930s Manchuria and their dealings with the Japanese army and Chinese and Russian bandits. Well, that's a, a lot of ands in a synopsis, but uh, yeah, Russian bandits. Um, I didn't see any Russian bandits. Maybe they meant Mongolian. Well, those guys were were Chinese. They were uh, <laughs> I don't know. Mandarin. Yeah, I don't know. I, I think that's bizarre that they said that. We do know the Japanese and the Chinese are in there, but we don't know anything about the Russian part. So let's just put it that way. But this is basically a uh, Korean western. Uh, that's the best way to describe it. A uh, kimchi western. Yeah, yeah. There you go. And uh, well, this is going to be an interesting conversation. So I'm just going to kick it over to you, and we're going to get started on this thing. Yes, finally the time to review this film is here. Uh, this is one that you and I had a very, very keen interest in, in seeing and reviewing because um, we're both obviously big fans of Kim Ji-Woon. We covered A Bittersweet Life on, I think, our second, second episode. Um, this was one I wanted to see at the Toronto Film Festival, but it was, I think, 40 bucks for a ticket because it was a gala, which is interesting. Uh, on a side note, that this sort of genre picture from Korea is a, a sort of reached sort of... Uh, gala status but mm-hmm. in any event uh, this was one that we were keen to review the time has come so let's uh, i guess let me start with what i have to say um <laughs> the first thing i noticed about the film was the colors uh and how beautifully colored uh it seems like every frame is it just i have a standard dvd player and i thought to myself wow this would look incredible in blu-ray yes um you know, like the, the the blue of the sky right down to the dirt on the ground. It just, I mean, it looked so good. Um, you know, so, I mean, every frame is just like a real treat for the eyes. It's like candy. It's uh, really, really nice. Mm-hmm. Um, 
so yeah, I mean, you'd said what the film was. Basically, it's a riff on spaghetti westerns. Obviously, there's that's no secret. The title alone uh, is is uh, a tribute to the great Sergio Leone's "Good, the Bad, and the Weird" or "Good, the Bad, and the Ugly." Sorry, um, <laughs> and uh, this this cast that he has uh, is a really good cast because essentially you get a zillion people, uh, but beyond that, the titular "Good, Bad, and Weird." are three heavyweights of Korean cinema. Uh, Song Kang-ho, who a lot of people would know from uh, the Vengeance films, from The Host, from Memories of Murder. He's the weird. Um, Byung-hun Lee, who was in A Bittersweet Life. Uh, he's going to be G- uh, Storm Shadow in the new G.I. Joe movie coming out. Uh, was the bad. And um, Woo Sung-jung was the good. So the film is really anchored by their three performances. Um... I did think that the bad... I'm just going to say the bad and the weird, just for the sake of speeding things up. Right. <laughs> uh, the bad, uh, I thought, did a great job. I mean, it's such a fun role for him. Like, right from the beginning, you just see he's he's very, very cool and very charismatic. And to me, that's the sign of a, of a, a great performance from a bad guy, is that you can't help but love them or admire them anyway. Yeah, and to pull off the uh, hairdo he pulls off and still be intimidating is pretty awesome. And the eyeliner. Oh, yeah, there is some eyeliner. Or guy liner, I guess is what we would call that. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, right away, he, he's established as being just too cool for school. Like, um, you know, he's brought in, uh, he, it's established he's got quite a reputation as being sort of this, uh, this bad man across the land. And and he's hired to steal this map. And then uh, the guy that, that's going to employ him says something like, um, I think he says something like, you're the, you're the deadliest man in all of Manchuria. And he kind of turns around very seriously and, and uh, says, just Manchuria? And uh, just sort of that sort of uh, arrogance. Was, it, was, it was very charismatic, very charming. Yeah, he has, a, he has an outfit that's like uh, 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 Antonio Banderas' outfit in Desperado. That's what it reminded me of, his all-black yeah. outfit. Yeah, you really hit it on the head, actually. It's sort of this nicely tailored kind of suit. Um, I think it was yeah, even it a fr- looked- like a frilly shirt, like almost like a puffy shirt from like Seinfeld. Yeah, yeah, it had sort of a bigger collar and yeah. whatnot. It looked good though. I thought it looked real good on him. It, yeah, uh, it looked good. And it's funny because they talk about he talks about him having to get on a train and get this map, because essentially we mentioned this. We didn't mention this in the the plot. Everyone is out for this map of what they think is a tre- treasure of some sort, mm-hmm. um, and that's where basically it all converges is this uh, this chase to get this map and to get this treasure. And that's um, that's where you get the most similarity with uh, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Yes, you know, three absolutely. bandits kind of looking for a map and looking for a treasure. So, yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, I thought the music in the film was really, really nice. Like the score was impressive. It wasn't. The interesting thing about it was that it wasn't completely aping Leone. I mean, it had some influence. Uh, I'm sorry, Morricone. It, it wasn't. Um, aping it to the point where it was just a complete Xerox or a mm. photocopy. Right. Um, you know, you get the horns and the electric guitar and, and the flamenco guitar, but it's all done with sort of a very modern update, which I thought was very, uh, a very good decision on his part to not completely ape uh, the other stuff. Right. Yeah, no, it was a nice touch. The, uh, You know, you get that vibe of uh, Spaghetti Western from it, so it's obvious to me that Kim Ji-Woon has uh, seen uh, quite a few, not just the good, the bad, and the ugly. He's seen some other stuff, too, because uh, being a Spaghetti Western fan and a Western fan in general, uh, 
the good, the bad, and the ugly is the obvious comparison. But if you look through here, you'll see a lot of influence from everywhere from Howard Hawks, Westerns, John Ford Westerns, and just about everything else. But Spaghetti Westerns probably the most dominant uh, influence on this film, I would say. I would say so, and there's a few references I'll mention a little bit later on in my notes. But yeah, certainly the, the Spaghetti Westerns for their scope and the um, the artistry involved with that scope are, mm. are certainly the, the biggest sort of spiritual uh, forefathers to this. Um, you know, this is a film that, as we'd mentioned, is very visually impressive. It, even the credits to start the film off were very impressive. You get almost like, um, like you know when you see those airplanes flying by with those signs? Yeah. Right? Yeah. It's like that. That's how the credits for the, the principal, like the leads in the film are presented, like that. Which, uh, it looked really cool. Yeah, it did. Um, one thing I do want to say about I thought that I made a note of, because it was very apparent early to me, um... Sukiyaki Western Django, which is Takashi Miike's uh, film from a few years back, it was his uh, take on the Spaghetti Western. Um, I like that film, but I often have thought that it was a mistake for him to, and, and more of a, a gimmick for him to have his actors speak in English. It almost felt like children playing dress up. Uh, they didn't feel very comfortable in their their roles, and it was hard to take a lot of it seriously at times, despite it being a fun film. And um, I just wish now, especially after seeing this, that he had have had his actors speak in Japanese because you see how much more punch the dialogue ha- dialogue has when they're able to speak in their mother tongue, how much more confidence they can exude uh, and put into their characters. Yeah, you know, if if I had a nickel for every time Takeshi Miike uh, made an odd choice, uh, I could do this podcasting thing for the rest of my life. <laughs> yeah, yeah, as could I, I think. <laughs> He he just makes odd choices, but I agree with you. You know, Sukiyaki Western Django, I I enjoyed it for what it was, but the dialogue is obviously uh, I don't think anybody well not ever anybody because some people did, but I think most of the people in the film didn't even know what they were saying. No, they were just saying what they you know what phonetic. they knew is yeah phonetic English, and so they were just saying these lines. But it's pretty obvious in their faces that they're just saying lines because I never felt like they knew what they were talking about. I agree, and, and that's the thing. It's a shame because there are some good actors in there, and, and there was it was a great film. I really liked the film. I thought it was a good film. I just think it could have been a great film and, and could have been at least in the conversation to mention against this film if they had spoken Japanese. That's what I sort of lament. Yeah. Um, I agree with you. I agree. Now, getting back to the visuals for a moment, because that is a large part of this film, there is an absolutely first-class sort of behind-the-back kind of... Uh, shot that follows Song Kang Ho from one end of the train through the other to the other that it just it was so well done uh, and it was even comedic in parts because basically he sort of disguised himself as this uh, this bus boy or whatever on the train <laughs> yeah. selling uh, I don't know candies or something and, and no one's really biting and then one guy finally does and he kind of s- sits him back down by the top of his head you know just because he's trying to get to the back of the train without anyone detecting him uh, I thought that was a really wonderful uh, sequence that was really well shot. Yeah, you know, I know this was uh, one of, if not the most expensive Korean uh, film ever ma- uh, made so far, am I right? It is the most expensive film ever made in Korea. Yeah, and it's pretty obvious that the money was spent on production design. I mean, uh, that's a long shot. Uh, there's quite a few long shots in here, and uh, as we go along in this review, you'll hear us talk about a couple of shots that we're still trying to figure out how they did. 
because yeah. we were talking about this last night to pull the curtain back a little bit. There's a couple shots in this film that I still cannot figure out how they pulled off. So <laughs> I'm still trying to figure it out. And uh, but that yeah that that opening kind of a uh, uh, what would be the sequence. word yeah that, sequence, uh, that maybe sequence but. I'm thinking about the tracking shot, just the way it's just tracking and everything is is really, really good. And uh, uh, Sun Kei Ho, man, uh, this is a performer who can mix comedy and evil and and just, (laughs) he can mix everything together. And uh, his performance in this film is pretty amazing. (laughs) Yeah, it definitely was. Um, You know, even like there was a shot on the train where it's sort of interesting, though I hadn't really seen before, where... Someone is right up close to a window. There's a, sh- a shootout ensues between the different parties on the train and off the train and horseback. And someone gets shot through the window. And the bullet, you see the bullet go through. There's a tiny hole in the glass. And then almost instantly, the, the glass is covered with red splatter. Yes. <laughs> uh, I thought that was really cool. And something I'm surprised, having seen it, that we hadn't seen before. But it looked so great. And that's the thing with Kim Ji-woon. We've, we've said in his review, or his our coverage of A Bittersweet Life, that... You know, he, he has this, this zest or this punch to when people get shot or, or stuff that just, this flair, I guess, that um, makes it exciting still. Because a lot of times, you know, you, this many people get gunned down, you think, oh, you're kind of filing your nails a little bit, <laughs> thinking, you know, <laughs> yeah. here we go, it's kind of boring after a while. But he, <laughs> almost every kill is, is, is very exciting in this, and, and it's like he gives that character their, their due as, you know, as far as getting killed. Yeah, this one's a little different than *The Bittersweet Life*. And *The Bittersweet Life* there was seems like there was more misses than hits. This one's a you know traditional Western type shooting where there's not a lot of. I mean, there's missing among the principals, but it's like all the extra characters are always getting hit. <laughs> it's it's the Trinity School of uh, shooting. Yes, everybody's getting hit. <laughs> <laughs> um, I want to touch on the production design for a moment. You just touched on it. I thought it was. In recent memory, maybe the most impressive I've ever seen in a film. Um, you know, right from the train itself, maybe that was CG, I don't know. Uh, to the Just the trinkets and clothing and suitcases, the record player uh, that shows up in the film. Um, things in the background, little inconsequential things. I just, I was stunned at how impressive it was and the extent they went to, to find sort of visually interesting uh, trinkets that were... Um, uh, era accurate or, right. or uh, you know it's accurate to that that time frame mm-hmm. I just was very very impressed with that um, we get treated to a nice motorbike with a sidecar which I'm always a fan of in films <laughs> yeah those are awesome <laughs> yeah they absolutely are uh, and here's another Leone reference that is uh, to me um, well it's very obvious that's uh, very clearly influenced by Duck You Sucker, uh, also known as A Fistful of Dynamite, with James Coburn's character uh, riding the motorbike around in uh, revolutionary Mexico. Right. Which, uh, again, I thought was a nice touch. Again, it just, you know, this guy's obviously very familiar with the genre, mm-hmm. like you'd said, so it's, it's, he hasn't seen one or two. He's seen enough that he can put a lot of ones that, that real fans uh, can appreciate, stuff like that. Um I like also that for people like us who aren't really familiar with sort of Manchuria and that whole uh, era of Asian history, we're kind of given a frame of reference through a visual, sort of a visual frame of reference because there's a scene when the bad is going to kill someone um, and he has to get into a safe and the safe says made in 1925. So we can kind of see that, you know, roughly when this is, uh, and the safe looks pretty new. 
Mm-hmm. So we can see that, you know, when, when this roughly takes place, I mean, I'm sure you could venture a guess uh, without this, of course, but I think it was, I like that he did that. That was a smart little move on his part. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it's a nice little setup, but this is one of those films where even though it's set in a certain time, it's kind of a mishmash of everything because the clothing is obviously not 1925 and 1930s clothing. Uh, that's that's the way I felt. I mean, I felt like some of the characters were wearing stuff that you wouldn't have seen back in those days. Now, now the weird, he was wearing an interesting outfit that looked like a, like a thermal, like some kind of thermal uh, snowsuit almost, <laughs> with a pilot's oh, yeah. cap. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he had the leather, like the leather, um, uh, like the pilot's ma- uh, helmet thing uh, with the chin straps and the goggles and... He had uh, long johns on, with, like short <laughs> pants and yeah. construction boots, and <laughs> yeah, the uh, and I think it's just a mishmash of everything. Uh, even though it's set in a certain time period, I mean, I think they just you know they decided to go with some different type of looks for the clothing and stuff, which I think is a great you know I think it's a great touch. I mean, I don't think it you know has to be historically completely accurate. That would be in the film like this, and when you see this film, anybody that's listening, when you see this film, you know what we mean. You don't need to be historically accurate because this is uh, you know one of those this full-on movie geek films where you know it's like hey you know i saw this movie hey i saw this hey i saw that you know what i'm just gonna throw it all in a bowl mix it up and eat it <laughs> you know so yeah and that's what you get from this film but uh, the reason why i say that is because you know not that i'm a fashion expert or anything but then we go back to the bads character and that that suit doesn't really look like something from the 25 and 30s not that i know and then of course you know our good character looks like uh uh well, like uh, Clint Eastwood in High Plains Drifter more than he looks like Clint Eastwood in the uh, Dollars trilogy. Yeah, because he's a little bit cleaner looking than uh, than. Uh, he's got the trench coat. The- he's got the long coat, and you know, things like that. And a great, he got a great hat, a great hat, which gets a bullet hole in it, which is awesome. <laughs> and he's got a respectable mustache. Yeah, it's pretty good. It's pretty good. It's, it's, not, not, it's not great, but yeah. uh, you know, it's, not, okay. it's not overpowering. It's not uh, you know, <laughs> it's not the first thing you look at all the time, but no. I know it's, but it's okay. It holds its own. But um, yeah, you're right. I think that a movie like this can get away with making decisions strictly for visual flair, um, and that's okay because it's that kind of film. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, this isn't a historical um, like a, uh, uh, an account of, a, of a, an actual event. I mean, it's it's made to be a fun kind of uh, tribute or love letter to um, films that that influenced Kim Ji Woon to make this. Um, you know, even getting further to the vigils, there's there's a place in it called the Ghost Market. It's sort of a a market where all the seedy characters in Manchuria kind of barter and exchange things, and you know, it's it's pretty visually impressive too. I mean, you get elephants walking through there, huge Buddhist statues, camels. Um, there's a lot. It's sort of uh, like a a shanty town in some parts. Like there's, it's just again very very visually impressive, and and uh, I tip my ten gallon hat to. Uh, the production design at that point as well yeah and uh they really crank up the rain machines at one point man there's a lot of rain oh yeah oh yeah no there absolutely is um and a great sequence with a diver's helmet that needs to be seen to be believed <laughs> you know what the diving helmet was one of the most inspired bits in the film and that's saying something and you know what i wrote this down actually the deep sea diving helmet is one of those big kind of round ones you see in fish tanks actually if <laughs> yeah. people don't know what we're talking about yeah <laughs> um the great thing about that was it, it becomes almost bulletproof i mean it is bulletproof um you know he's getting pinged off with these wearing he's kind of st- wobbling around stumbling around with this thing and 
you know, the bullets are kind of bouncing off. And the funny thing about that is this thing makes the snowy owl mask look sleek in comparison <laughs> from a stage fright. <laughs> and those things, I know for a fact, those things weigh like 25 to 30 pounds, I believe. Because they're completely made of brass, I believe. And so they're very heavy. Well, he even says so because after that sequence is done, he's kind of excited that he's been shot in the head about 10 times. They've pinged <laughs> off and he goes, this is awesome, but why is it so damn heavy? <laughs> and you and I are big fans of that when, when they almost speak to what we're thinking. Like, man, that thing's great, but well, fucking heavy, isn't it? Oh, yeah. I mean, because I, I can't even imagine putting one of those on. Matter of fact, the way he puts it on is not even the way you put it on because I think you put the the neck piece on first and then somebody else sets the uh the the actual headpiece down and twist it like a screw cap so oh yeah to be able just to put one on like a football helmet i think is next to impossible and would probably take your nose and your ears off <laughs> <laughs> so it's because actually when he pulls it off you can see that he's rubbing his nose and stuff because it had to have hurt to take that thing off that way because that's a real nautical helmet i have no doubt about it but that's a real helmet uh because uh I don't see why they would design one any other way, and so I imagine it was quite heavy, and I imagine he was probably sore that next day because he was running around with this thing like crazy. Oh, zigzagging around, and <laughs> you know, it. Uh, yeah, he really was. And this but goes. I this just, is the, we never said who was wearing it, but it's the weird who's wearing it. So it's uh, you know, Song Kang Ho, Kang Ho, who's wearing it. So <laughs> he really oh, yeah. he makes the best of it. <laughs> he does, and like you said, it just it's a compliment to him because he, I've oh, I've said to people to sort of give them an idea. To me, he's like the Philip Seymour Hoffman of South Korean cinema in that, you know, he's sort of a bigger, stockier guy. He's um, he's great at serious stuff. He's got a lot of range. Uh, and he's also obviously very good at comedic stuff or, or, or you know, touches of, of comedy like he was in this film. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see what else I got here. Yeah, the the another thing I liked was the sound, uh, the sound design. There's a couple killings with knives and the sound of the blades... Uh, sort of slashing people, I thought. It sounded really good. Like, it sounded really brutal. Yeah. Yeah, there's one individual who uh, takes quite a uh, beating with some knives, as a matter of fact. And, uh, yeah, it sounded like somebody was carving meat. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it did, because he's really slashing them up good. Yeah, he is. Uh, it, get, it gets pretty... Uh, yeah, it gets pretty gory. It does. I mean, that's the thing. You know, it's a really fun film, and part of me was like, I wonder if Doc and Kate should watch this. And I thought, you know what? There's too much brutality in it, despite it being done in sort of a light-hearted way. Uh-huh. Um, it's just a little too brutal, I think, for them. But yeah, it's 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 interesting that it still feels kind of fun. Yeah, yeah, no, it's it's one of those things where gore and and fun and all that stuff mixed together and and you know makes it that much better. I mean, it's one of those things where you know you're a genre fan. Sometimes you see a movie and you see a blood splatter, and instead of going ooh, you go you just kind of laugh at it because it's it, it gives you that vibe. Mm-hmm. Uh, not that it's you know. a comedy, but it's just like, oh yeah, that was awesome, you know. And you just kind of laugh and giggle to yourself. And I, I did that a lot watching this movie. Oh, so did I. So did I. Uh, one thing I felt that parts of this film, and actually, I guess in retrospect, more towards the end of the film, it becomes very obvious. This film, to me, had as much as it's a western, it also had um, touches of sort of a post-apocalyptic vibe as well. Oh yeah, this is where we're going to get into a little bit of the Mad Max talk. <laughs> uh, well, maybe we can wait. I don't know. If you want to talk about it now, we can. No, no, we can talk about it later, because i got something in my notes about that stuff. Okay, I'll try and zip through what i got here, because I know we're starting to run long. There's some harp and flute music, speaking of the score, when uh, the bad duels one of his guys who kind of questions his ability, that I thought was a wonderful, wonderful piece of music. To see a harp used in sort of spaghetti western tone, or that that kind of uh, style, I thought was really, really cool and really inspired. Yeah, you know, that thing with uh, you know one of his minions... Uh 
questioning. That that's also a Western convention as well. So you can tell Kim Ji Woon has seen some some westerns because I, I can't even tell you how many westerns I've seen where the bandits always have one guy that thinks he's going to question the leader. <laughs> yep. And yep. you know it never works out for him. So it, that was really great. That was really funny the way he just kind of you know I'm not going to give it away, but the way he just kind of handled that was kind of well, it was hilarious. That's what it was. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, it was. Um, there's a great bit in uh, in an opium den where the weird <laughs> comes rolling through this thing, and he thinks it's uh, he thinks it's sort of uh, friendly faces in there because they're Korean. Because essentially, in this film, you get Korean spoken, you get Mandarin Chinese spoken, and you get Japanese spoken because all these different sides. Manchuria was an area of Asia that wasn't. Um, it was kind of the the Wild West essentially. That that's why he chose to do it then because it was like sort of this wide open place that had a lot of lawless kind of uh, everyone jockeying for uh, control. But he goes into this place and looks like sort of a Korean opium den, and he doesn't realize it, but the people running the den uh, are actually working for someone else. And so you get, it's sort of a brothel, actually, slash opium den. And you get the girls sitting beside him, and they're blowing opium smoke in his face and, and, and poisoning his drink and all this, and, and he's getting sort of more confused by the moment and getting annoyed with them blowing the smoke in his face, and he's... <laughs> He's passing out and waking up and passing out and waking up. And it was just a really, really funny bit that I, I laughed out loud at a few parts of. You know, the opium, opium dim is funny because uh, it was it, that part was funny. And then I thought, okay, they're going to stay in this spot too long and I'm going to get bored with it. And then, you know, they kind of lock him up and stuff. And it gets even funnier. It gets even better. So as much as I at first I thought, okay, I'm not going to like this opium den. I'm just not going to like it. It ends up being one of the most memorable parts of the movie. <laughs> Yeah, it does, and you know, I think this is maybe our second or third film to feature feature rectal stabbings. <laughs> well, you know, we do cover a lot of rape, and uh, for me, a rectal stabbing would be uh, well. That's just another word for rape. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And my favorite part um, about all that is always the the line of "Cover your eyes, kids." <laughs> yo, that was really good. Yeah, because there's these orphans that have sort of been ca- these sort of been captured and. And they're in this little uh, makeshift prison cell with him, and you know all this. He's doing all these violent things. And cover your eyes, kids. Cover your eyes, kids. Yeah, it was a great, great bit um, <laughs> with the kids. Actually, uh, let me see. I want to try and cut my notes short here because I'm starting to run long. Um, I'll let you touch on the sort of Mad Max-ish stuff, and then I'll just feed off of that. Um, you know what? Um, I'll, I'm going to let you jump into what you have to jump into. And if there's anything I feel is absolutely essential, I'll, I'll just follow up with it. But I want to let you get a chance to, to speak your mind here because I'm sure you got a lot to say too. Yeah, uh, a couple things that kind of jumps out to me immediately is, is that uh, Song Kang Ho, Kang Ho, not K, uh, he uh, he reminds me of Inspector Clouseau, but kind of more badass. I mean, he's like bumbling into shit, you know. And and unlike Clouseau, who kind of has no idea what he's doing uh, and just kind of accidentally does it, he kind of does know how he does it, but he does it in such an unorthodox way. That I just found it so entertaining. <laughs> yeah, that's a good comparison. <laughs> I mean, because, like, you know, he can fight, evidently. He can shoot. Uh, you know, he's got a couple guns he shoots with. He can do everything. But at the same time, the way that uh, Song Kei Ho, that the weird, the way he plays the character is kind of bumbling like he doesn't do it well, but it seems like he does everything well. It's just mm-hmm. he doesn't really he doesn't really want to get involved, and he ends up getting involved anyway. So there's some really great stuff there. Uh, I also want to talk about that scene with... Uh, Lee, but uh, you know the the bad. I'm not going to try to say his name. So let's just let's just go there. So he uh, the uh, stabbing. Uh, there's a knife stabbing uh, that he does with a, a bust of the victim in the background. That is just like so. 
it's a mixture of everything comedy uh violence uh just everything and it happened so quickly uh that uh i had to rewind it to see how they did it because it was really really quick i mean i think there might have been some frames cut out there because i don't think i've ever seen anybody move that fast <laughs> well he is storm shadow in the new gi joe movie so well, yeah uh, take that how you want to take it. I, I, I'm sorry that he had to come to America and make a film that he had to, that he's going to be in this G.I. Joe film, which I'm just going to be honest with you, I think is going to be a disaster. So that's I'm, just my opinion. I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic because, well, I shouldn't say that. I, I'm sort of looking at it through rose-colored glasses because when I was a kid, you were either a Transformers guy or a G.I. Joe guy, and I was a G.I. Joe guy. So Transformers has had its day in the sun. Now it's time for me as a G.I. Joe guy <laughs> yeah. to kind of get his... His childhood brought up, and hopefully they don't uh, destroy it too much. Uh, but it is a shame, you're right, that an actor of his caliber and his charisma uh, gets sort of lumped into this sort of mindless popcorn film because he's an A-list actor all the way. Yes, yes, and he's just great in this film. We talked about the production design, the shanty town or ghost town as they call it. Now, the action scenes in this film, it's kind of hard to describe this in any other way but this. Um, you start out with one great action scene with the train, and you think, wow, they're not going to be able to top that. And then you go to the ghost town, and you think, Jesus Christ, they did not only did they just top it, they blew it away. And then you go to the last third of the film, and you're like, man, is there anything that they're not going to throw at you in this movie? And we talked about this last night. I had actually said to you, I can't believe somebody didn't get killed making this movie. <laughs> and my response to you was that, sadly, one of the stuntmen did get killed uh in doing this film so um i can't recall his name and it's a shame that i don't have it in front of me um but i do want to say you know sort of rest in peace to him because uh it's it's very sad that you know he died doing something like this but um for whatever it's worth um you know it was some incredible work and i know that's small solace uh, and i'm probably gonna dig myself a hole here inadvertently but <laughs> yeah. um i just wanted to, to say you know that someone did pass uh, someone did die on the, the set of this film uh and that's you know sadly that's uh, what happened. Yeah, and if you see Probably the really. if you see the back third of this film, you'll you'll understand why probably because if I'm I'm going to assume that and this is a massive assumption, so I'm not going to say that you know I'm right or wrong here because I haven't done the research, but I'm going to assume that the problem person might have passed away or been killed accidentally in the last sequence of this film where they decide to set explosions off and there's cars and there's horses and. I have seen a lot of films where explosions happen close to actors, but maybe not this close ever. There is some massive gunfire and explosions going off, and they, it seems, now this is just my eye and what I see on the screen, but it seems like it was uh, very, very close, very close in proximity to the actors. I don't know if you thought that or not. I did, and to give people an idea who haven't seen the film, um, it's almost like the, the set piece at the end of The, of, uh, the Road Warrior uh, and in the words of the great uh, Spinal Tap, turned up to eleven. <laughs> yes, <laughs> and that's what because... I mean. It's like it's like the volume knob just gets progressively louder as the film goes along. I mean, you got like three major action set pieces, and it just like okay, I'm gonna kick this up a notch. I'm gonna kick this up a notch, and now at the end here, we're gonna take this fucker all the way to eleven. And that's what they do. I, yeah, because there's no way you think they can top what they've just done because it's. Each one, you're thinking to yourself, this is one of the most amazing things I've ever seen put to film. Not only from how much is involved, but how they filmed it and uh, and everything else. And how it was choreographed. And and somehow, some way, they just keep topping it. Yes. Yes, I mean, with the scenes with the ghost town, with uh, the good. 
I mean, you might as well have made a Spider-Man movie. Because, I mean... Oh, yeah. <laughs> they're, they're in a shanty town, but most of the fight takes uh, place, you know, 30 feet in the air. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's swinging. He's like, he's literally... He's got his arm wrapped around some sort of a rope or a cable. He's swinging around, shocking in the other hand, picking guys off. And it's amazing. It's amazing. It really is. It's almost like Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. <laughs> yeah, with the wire work. Yeah, yeah. It's like a wushu <laughs> film all of a sudden, you know? <laughs> but, I mean, it, that, after I saw that scene, I thought, okay, well, you know, I've seen, you know, the, the set piece that everybody talks about when they talk about this movie. And then we get to the last third, and it just gets that much more insane. And then there's this... This great mishmash, and we were talking about this last night, of uh, kind of pop music and, and action and violence that reminds me of one of our favorite directors, Quentin Tarantino. And, uh, you know, Kim Ji-Woon, you know, like, we, we joked about this last night, but it is true that because, you know, Kim Ji-Woon's in Korea and he makes this film, you know, it's going to be looked upon as maybe a little bit more original. But really, this is kind of what Quentin Tarantino does all the time. He kind of takes all of his influences and throws them into a big pot and then just kind of lets it all come out. Yeah, and, and just to be perfectly clear, sorry to cut you off, Sammy, yeah. we don't mean that in a bad way. No, 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 no. No, I'm, I'm a personal fan of people who, you know, take all their influences and spit them back out. I mean, that's what you're supposed to do as an artist, right? You're supposed to take everything that influenced you and just kind of chew it up and spit it out and see what hits and see what sticks. And uh, that's what this reminded me of is, you know, if Tarantino would have made this film, people would say, oh, he's ripping off Leone. Oh, he's doing this. Maybe that's because Quentin Tarantino is so obnoxious in, in interviews and things. I can understand why people don't like him sometimes. I, I get that, but it's the same. It's it's the same principle. And you know, if I'm sitting there thinking, you know, maybe Tarantino should move to France or something because if he did that and did all of his films in French, maybe people would uh, see him in a different light. <laughs> well, or even just move there, even if the films were done in English, because there's a famous thing that Carpenter, a line Carpenter always says, like he says something like. In America, I, I'm a trash maven. Uh, here, I'm this. And in France, I'm a genius. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> Yeah, yeah. It's just commentary on, on the, the appreciation over there for him. Exactly. But yeah, this is, the, this is definitely, especially the last, I guess, 20 minutes of this film. Well, let me take that back. Not the last 20 minutes, but that last action sequence seems very inspired by Tarantino and, and directors like that. But of course, then again, Tarantino's never shot anything on this scale. Uh, and nope. of course, Inglorious Bastards is coming out this year, so we don't know exactly what kind of scale that's going to be on. But uh, he's never shot anything on this massive of a scale. But uh, just trust me, guys, when you see this, listen to the music, the uh, the way it's shot, the way it's kind of uh, just gonzo crazy and stuff, and you'll get a very uh, Tarantino-esque vibe from it, I think. I th that's what I got. Especially, I think it was the music more than anything. Well, yeah, because he had used that piece of music in uh, Kill Bill. Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> uh, so that definitely lent itself to that you you thinking that absolutely but no it's right and that just it's a shame that you know people are going to brand him as a ripoff artist and, and Kim Ji-woon is, is sort of a visionary but I mean both of them are wearing their their um, their inspirations very clearly on their sleeves so it's just a shame that some get branded as one some get branded as something different yeah I mean they, neither one of them I, I haven't read a whole lot of interviews with Kim Ji-woon but they neither one of them make a secret of the fact that they're movie fans who yeah. just happened to make movies, and well, uh, you know that, that I don't understand why people get upset about that. I still, I still never have ever understood it. I mean, I think if if I'm going to go to a movie and I'm going to have a good time, I want the person behind the camera to love movies as much as I do. Absolutely, because it makes it fun. It, again, it becomes sort of this this Easter egg hunt, you know, in films that you and I love so much, especially with people like Tarantino and, and very clearly with Kim Ji Woon. You know, like when the, when the goods hats getting shot away. I can't remember which Leone Western that was in, but it was that was in a Leone Western and. 
you know, the weird getting dragged through the desert is, is obviously, uh, you know, the good, the bad, the ugly. The hat getting so shot just, away was uh, my favorite of the three. It was uh, for a few dollars more. Oh, oh yes, yes, yes. Oh, that was, yeah, that's right, because it, uh, it was Lee Van Cleef, wasn't it, that yes. was doing it? Yes, it was Lee Van yes. Cleef, yes. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, just those things are great in films. It, 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 because then it becomes for us, or basically for us, by us. You know, for film, for film lovers, by film lovers. And there's nothing better than that. No, no, no more of an exhilarating feeling as a film fan than something that's made by someone who loves films like you do, like you said. Yeah, and, and this is film as an exhilarating experience. I mean, from the get-go, you start watching this, and if you love movies, you're going to love this movie. Because this movie is just, I mean, it's just full of great moments that... Uh, you can just see from other films that you can that that even some of these moments, of course, are going to be uh, with you for maybe the rest of your life. Because there's some shots in this film, and, we, and I've touched on this a little bit when you were talking. There's some shots in here that me and you, neither one, can figure out how they did. And nope. it's it's a, an amazing technical achievement. Uh, the first one that comes to mind is the swoop over the train and then down into a very tight close-up uh, mm-hmm. of uh, Song Kang Ho, and I'm like. I'm watching that and I'm thinking, you know, I don't, I'm not a, I'm not a filmmaker, but I'm thinking, okay, yeah, helicopter, yeah, no big deal. You know, there, there was a couple other shots where they zoomed over the train, so I thought, okay, it's just a helicopter. And then Song Kang Ho pops up in the frame. I mean, not literally, like two feet from the camera. And I'm like, yeah. oh, wait a minute, if that, if that's a helicopter, not only is that deadly, that might be a human rights law being violated <laughs> because, <laughs> you know, I mean, you can't get a helicopter that close to anybody. And plus, there was no dust kicking up anywhere. I don't know how they did it. Well, that's the thing. Korea, ever since the Korean new wave of about seven, eight years ago, they've very clearly shown that they can put out as slick a film production-wise as anyone in the world on a lot smaller budget. Because as much as this was a big-budget film, I'm going to throw a number out there. It may or may not be uh, accurate. Um, you know, maybe fifty, sixty million. This thing was done for American. Uh, yeah, I think that's about right. And and you may think that seems low because if this was an American film, we're looking at two hundred million for sure. But you know. Films in Asia are a lot, lot cheaper than they are uh, in Hollywood. Well, that has to do with the catering. (laughs) 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 Oh, yeah. (laughs) But no, no. I mean, I think every dollar is on the screen in this film. This is a big-budget Hollywood movie made in South Korea. And, uh, you know, Michael Bay, directors who make big action movies... They don't get me wrong. I don't like Michael Bay as a filmmaker, although he does pull off some stuff with a camera that I, I don't know how he does it either. But nothing like what Kim Ji Woon does in this film. Uh, Kim Ji Woon, man, I, I'd love to see him come to America and make. And I'll be honest, I'd love to see him make a big action, uh, big action movie. But uh, I'd also love to see him come here and just make uh, small films too. And uh, but in a way, I kind of want him just to stay where he's at because if he can still keep turning out material like this, I I, I don't even need Hollywood to make movies because this was. One of the most fun action movies I've seen, and would have easily been on my top ten list for last year if we would saw it before we uh, we capped it last uh, couple weeks. So yeah, I would agree with you, and I had said to you that I think if this had been in English, or we lived in sort of a perfect world where uh, world cinema was looked at as equal and not as stupid because you have to read, <laughs> um, this would have been one of the biggest blockbusters worldwide because it's it's everything that is good about a summer popcorn movie. And that's not being dismissive of this. This is, you know, when you think of movies like Indiana Jones and stuff like that, um, that's what this film is. It's really a celebration of summer fun action films. Yes. With, with with a heart and a bit of a brain still, too. 
which they didn't leave at the door like a lot of films. Yeah, they don't got, speak down to It's you. got heart, it's got brains, and it's got an edge. It's got everything. Yeah. It's got it all, man. And yeah. uh, it's just, trust me, I will, you know, I will recommend this film to anybody that wants to see a great, fun action movie. Some people have said it's a little long in spots. I think it's two hours and 15 minutes. There is a little downtime in there. But even the downtime is pretty entertaining. I thought the scene with uh, the weird and the good at the fire at the fireplace, uh, I thought that was a good little scene. It was actually, now that you mention it, it was a funny little scene because they're both kind of trying to camp out and sleep, and the good's trying to sleep, and of course the weird's just ta- talking his ear off. <laughs> and then finally when, when uh, the weird sort of invites him to say something, the good starts talking, the weird's like, I'm trying to sleep, man, shut up, like, stop talking. It was just... <laughs> Kind of a funny little scene. But no, I mean, you have to catch your breath with things like this. And, and now that we're reviewing this film, I'll be honest, my score has gone up because the more we talk about it, the more I think, man, you know, this really was an achievement. And, and people may think at first, well, that was good, but maybe, you know, a bit of a void. Let it sink in with you. Stop and think about what they did to get what they have on the screen, on the screen. And, and you really, I don't see how you couldn't be in love with this film if you love film. Yeah, if you are a junkie for technicality or film... Uh yeah, any kind of a talent as far as moving a camera and things like that, you will be blown away by this movie. I promise you that. You'll be blown away because there's things you've never seen in cinema before. And you got to think about how many years of cinema we're talking about here. Every time you think somebody's going to come along and you're like, wow, well, nobody's going to be able to do that again. You know, well, here comes Kim Ji-Woon and proves that, uh, you know, you can do anything. The only thing holding you back is your imagination. So, mm-hmm. So it's really good stuff. And, yeah, we didn't even mention the... We don't have to mention anything about it, but uh, during that fireplace scene, there's a great discussion of a character in the film called the uh, the finger chopper, <laughs> <laughs> which is uh, sounds vicious and actually completely stupid at the same time for any kind of fabled uh, killer in the Wild West known as the finger chopper. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you hit it on the head, man. It is. It's like wow, I'd hate to run into scary. a guy named the finger chopper because I don't know if I'd laugh or I'd be scared to death. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, pretty much. And the only only other note I got is I really enjoyed the ending of this film. I'm not going to give any of it away, but I think this film ended exactly like it needed to end. And that's just my opinion of it. Yeah, I would say so. I would say so. Like I said, I think people at first, because there's so much happening that I think, and it was just with me, admittedly, I did really like it. Um, but until I had time to sink in it and kind of work through everything and think about everything that was put on the screen that's when I really started to appreciate it. So if some of you see it and think, oh, fuck this movie, this wasn't as good as they said, let it sink in for a few days before you you respond or send us an email because I think you're going to find, not that you won't enjoy it from the get-go, you will, but I think the more you think about it, the more you can appreciate everything that went into this film. Yes, yes, I totally agree with that. All right, so I guess I'll kick it over to you for your MVT and your uh, uh, make or break. Okay, uh, my make or break isn't necessarily my favorite scene, as it as isn't necessarily with our make or break uh, segment. It's the train sequence. Um, the train sequence started me off on the right foot, um, let me know what I was in for um, very quickly, and from then on in, I just you know I knew I had to buckle up my uh, my seatbelt and hold on to my nipples, and <laughs> off I go because uh, <laughs> this is just uh, you know a visually dynamic film, just an incredible. Uh, film, so that yeah, was it's very important you protect break. your nipples because you are lactating currently, so it's very very important. Exactly. <laughs> um, my MVT actually for this is a very sort of outside the box, kind of bizarre MVT. My MVT is everyone that was involved in the production of this yes. film. Um, the reason I say that is because you and I had talked about how 
so many things, so many elements of this film, from the smallest detail of, of a bust of a statue that had to be made, to a record player, to sound design, production design, costumes, the animals, uh, the, the vehicles, um, you know, everything, the action, I mean, every demolitions, everything that made this film the magical experience it was, and I would be remiss if I didn't say, you know what, everyone deserves their, their credit for this, because something like this cannot be pulled off. Um, without everyone giving a Herculean effort. So my MVT is everyone that was involved with this film, and even to the suits that have greenlit this thing. I mean, who's going to, who, you know, to have the inspiration to greenlight a, a, a Western in Korea, that's the biggest budget film of all time in, in their country. I mean, that takes brass balls to do, and this isn't a country that is as enamored with Westerns as we are in North America. I agree with that, yeah. You know, so I mean... Yeah, so that's my MVT. Uh, my score for the film is an 8.75. Nice. Um, this would have made my, my top 10 list. It would have been in the top 5. Um, and this score may go up as we go along. Um, but I do think it's a perfect summer fun movie. Uh, and I highly, highly recommend all of you to get it. It's out on Region 2 right now. So go get a Region Free Player if you don't have one and get this film. And for me, I smell Blu-ray in my future. <laughs> I agree. I think this will be one of my first Blu-ray purchases when I get a Blu-ray nice. player. All right. So uh, my make or break is, and this is this was difficult for me. I mean, I wanted to go with the train, and then I wanted to go with the ghost town, and then I wanted to go with the ending. So I'm just going to say that the action scenes in general are my make and break, make or break because I I just I never had. Well, I'm not going to say I never because I've seen other films that have done this too. But there's like this accelerated madness to these action scenes. Mm. Uh, so yeah, I mean, it, it just gets it gets more and more progressively insane, all right. And and maybe I should make uh, my MVT the stunt people because I don't. I know we lost. You know, one guy passed away unfortunately, but these stuntmen. This might be the craziest batch of stuntmen I've ever seen. And you guys really got to see the end of this film, or you know, the last twenty minutes of this film to know what I'm talking about. So I don't want to go into much detail about it, but I mean, there's just insanity going on, and it's it just it just blew me away. I mean, I literally sat there. With my mouth open, I didn't even notice my mouth was open until it was, you know, the film was over. I just kind of shook my head, like, "Wow, you know, I don't have that kind of experience that much." I watch a lot of movies, and I don't have the experience all the time of, you know, dumbfounded glee that I had while I was watching this movie. So, I'm just going to go with the action scenes in general. And, and after you guys see this movie, you'll know what I'm talking about. My MVT. Now, this was uh, kind of difficult for me, uh, but I'm going to have to go. I think I go to the same thing I did with the Bittersweet Life. I got to go back to Kim Ji Woon again because. Uh, this director is one of the best directors working behind a camera period anywhere right now. I can't even, uh, I can't even think of anybody else off the top of my head that I cannot wait. Maybe, maybe Tarantino. I can't wait for Inglorious Bastards, obviously, but Kim Ji Woon, whatever he does next, um, I will fight tooth and nail to see it immediately. This is definitely a director I will, I will watch anything he does. I don't care if he just makes a, I don't care if he comes over here and makes a Martin Lawrence comedy, Black Knight 2. <laughs> As much as I would spit in Martin Lawrence's face if Kim Ji Woon made it, I may have it in my heart to see it. Exactly. So, but I love Kim Ji Woon. Uh, you know, it's two films in a row where it just blown me away, and and I just I don't even know what to say. My score for the film is a nine, even uh, just a little bit higher than yours. Ooh. Yeah, it's this is an amazing piece of work, and uh, this goes to show that you don't have to be a movie snob to love movies. This is not uh, this movie's not going to make you stop and 
think about a lot of things. This movie's just going to uh, just saturate you with movie geekness. I mean, you're just going to sit back and just be entertained completely. And so, like I say, some people have said it's too long, but I mean, that was a quick two hours and 15 minutes for me. So I don't know what people are talking about. I agree. So that's about all I got. Uh, this is definitely a recommend for me as well. Uh, purchase it whenever you get a chance. If you got a region free player and you want to purchase the region two, do it. I mean, you're not going to go wrong. And, yeah, I just want to encourage everyone to buy this film. It's such a great film, and it's important that we support films that we love mm-hmm. because that's the only way they're going to keep getting made. I mean, we can complain that you know, not a lot of movies we like are getting made, but we're part of the problem if, if everyone just downloads or, or does this or that. You know, If you really love a movie and you really love a filmmaker, support exactly. them. Exactly, and this is one that needs to be in your and, collection. <laughs> and I do want to say before we get off this, while you were talking, Sammy, I did find out the, uh, the stuntman... Uh, some man's name that passed away. It was Ji Jung Hyun. Uh, he's actually was pretty prominent in uh, in Korean stunt work. He was actually the guy that choreographed the hammer fight in Old Boy. Nice, yeah. So, um, yeah, he's, he has a lot, a long resume of a bittersweet life. Uh, he was involved with City of Violence, Public Enemy, uh, Moose of the Warrior. I mean, a long list of uh, of uh, films. So again, uh, you know, rest in peace. Um, very, very sad. Yeah, it is. And uh, again, once you guys see this film, you'll see possibly how that could have happened. <laughs> Seriously. And we're not making light yeah. of it. I'm just talking about the stunt work in this film. Absolutely insane. Even Jackie Chan would be envious. Yeah, early, yeah, early 80s Hong Kong would <laughs> would be envious yeah. of this. And uh, I'm just going to say uh, I felt sorry for those horses. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. All right. Uh, okay, so that's our review of The Good, The Bad, The Weird. Check it out. And we're going to go to break. And we'll be back right after this. This is Alyssa from Big Red Podcast, inviting you to listen to our show about pop culture, TV, and cool stuff that we talk about every week. Right, Derek? Well, you know you love it, and we talk about it. And if you haven't been listening, here's what you've been missing out on. And by a lot, I mean there are several shows to talk about, none of which were especially good. You know, it seems mostly uh, what I'm learning is a lot of things to take a lesson from One Tree Hill, and I never thought I'd say that. He also has a magnificent head of hair. Yes. Right, thank you. Naked Viking, whatever. And as with Lost, the flashbacks aren't interesting at this point. <laughs> uh, I'm just hoping that uh, it won't break my heart like heroes. Like punch a dinosaur in the face. Yes, oh, the mother was, yelling at each was other. insane and bizarre and apparently high, I'm guessing. I learned I mean, a lesson today about karma. The man who can't feel pain shouldn't be dealing with hot liquids and whatever. Right here, old man. And why are you not winning? So listen to Big Red Podcast if you like TV and junk on TV because we totally watch it and talk about it. So you don't have to. Find us at BigRedPodcast.com or check us out in the iTunes store. All right, we are back. Uh, little band called I the Sword. It was, uh, Frankie Valley in the Four Seasons. <laughs> yeah, with swords <laughs> and loincloths. <laughs> All righty, so we are going to jump into our next review, and I'm going to go ahead and kick it over to you to synopsize and things. Okay, let's try this. John Nada is a man without job who walks around big, a big American city trying to find something to do. He finally finds a job as a worker and a place to spend the nights, but one day something terrible happens to him. John discovers a pair of sunglasses through which he can see the true face of people. 
Many persons in the city are in fact aliens, uh, and most of them are important members of our society. They keep humans in ignorance and they rule our world as they like. Dana must find the rest of the men who know what's happening, those who made the strange sunglasses, he says in brackets, and join them in the fight against the aliens. Kind of sounds rather, <laughs> I don't know, hokey and generic. Um, I don't know. I guess that kind of sums it up. We can sort of get into it more as we go, I guess. And, yes. and just to be clear, the, these two films this week were sort of mutual decisions. Neither one of us picked either one because both of us uh, had massive boners to see Good, the Bad, the Weird, and both of us are big fans of They Live. So Yes, and I want to say, uh, first and foremost, thanks to uh, Wormwood Bebop, who spent, sent us both uh, Region 2 disc of uh, They Live, which has an audio commentary that I haven't listened to yet, with uh, Rowdy Roddy Piper and Mr. Carpenter, and uh, we really want to say thank you for that, because uh, he didn't have to do that, and he did it anyway, and uh, I want to say thank you, Wormy. Yeah, so, I do, too. Thanks. thanks so much, Wormy. And we haven't seen you on the boards much. We haven't really seen you around much at all, so... Um Hopefully you're still listening. You haven't got tired of our show, and uh, shoot us a shoot us a line because Wormy was a big, big contributor to our uh, our show early on, creating that uh, that great uh, logo and, and giving us these movies and sort of on the board. So hopefully he can uh, he can come back to the fray. Yep. All right. So they live, which is from 1988, uh, shot by one Mr. Carpenter. Uh, uh, well, not shot by, but directed by, and shot by one of his uh, frequent collaborators after Dean Cundy, Gary Kibbe. Uh, who shot In the Mouth of Madness and a couple other films with him. Now, this is Carpenter. This is political Carpenter. Carpenter. So <laughs> this is a this is a lot of fun. I mean, there's a there's a bold statement being made in this film. I'm not going to go too deep into it because, you know, we'll get into the whole the politics of it and whatnot, and we don't need to get into all that. I mean, it's pretty blatant and pretty uh, obvious. It kind of hits you over the head, but not in a, you know, not in a bad way, not in a way that kind of sacrifices for the entertainment of the I film. You know what I mean? Statement. Yeah, it's not in a way that kind of gives it away, but uh, so I, you know, the first thing I noticed about the film watching it again was, uh, and I haven't seen this probably in oh man, it's been a while. I mean, this film's twenty one years old now. I've, I haven't seen this probably at least in eight or ten years. I think maybe twelve. I haven't seen it in a while, and uh, I've forgotten that uh, Carpenter kind of went with a little bit more jazzy kind of synth. The score kind of reminded me in the beginning of the score to Hands of Steel. Hands of Steel <laughs> meets Wanted Dead or Alive. <laughs> <laughs> exactly there you go <laughs> this kind of 80s action movie uh theme that you know you had this kind of bluesy sax and uh somebody walking around a kind of decrepit town so it had a little bit of a hands of steel feel yeah, to it, it did. You know? <laughs> <laughs> i'm gonna cough over here so you know you get some interesting actors in here you get some carpenter carpenter mainstays you get uh uh keith david who was uh I guess it was Ch- Giles, I think. Giles, you know, thing? Or Giles, yeah. Giles. 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 He was, and who, yeah, who I think you and I both are huge fans of. Yeah, very underused character actor who uh, has a great voice, a great look. Uh, as a matter of fact, it looks like he came right off the set of the thing in this film because he's bald headed oh, yeah. and everything. <laughs> looks like he walked right off of it and into this movie. Parka and into his purple uh, tank top. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, that was hideous. <laughs> And then you get uh, Rowdy Roddy Piper. Now, Piper's performance is the interesting one in this film because he starts out real subtle, real quiet, real kind of, uh, you know, man with no name yeah. kind of. And I think that might be a play on his last name being Yeah, Hada. that's a good call, Sammy. I didn't think of that. That is a good yeah. call. Yeah, and I, he starts out that way. And then he puts the sunglasses on and he turns into Rowdy Roddy Piper. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You expect him to go to Piper's pit to get some uh, supplies at some point. <laughs> Yeah, he starts talking to the other characters and stuff, and he's like, "You formaldehyde <laughs> face," you know. 
It's like, what the hell? Why, where, how did, why did this character change all of a sudden? And then all of a sudden it, it occurs to me, this must be why he's walking around alone because this guy's really yeah. just an asshole. <laughs> oh, he has so many great one-liners in this film. I'll get into them later on. But yeah, he just starts, he just becomes like uncaged and he's just fucking on a roll, man. <laughs> he is. And it, it's really, it's really just great stuff. And, uh, well, we talked about the mullet a little bit. This one's one of those awesome mullets, the one that kind of blows back over the ears a little bit. This one isn't a cut above the ears. This is that 80s hairdo that, you know, those guys that were indecisive, they wanted to be a long hair or a short hair guy. And uh, this one's just kind of combed over the ears, so it looks like he's got a, uh, you know, a helmet on. Uh, it's really great stuff. It's it's a great hairdo, you know, and he wears the same uh, outfit most of the film. You know, you got the flannel shirt and the... And the jeans and stuff, and uh, yeah, the hair, man, amazing. It hair. is a luxurious mane. There's no denying that. As as Alyssa, Alyssa uh, would appreciate this hair. <clears throat> yes, yes, she would. I have no doubt about that. A uh, couple other things. Uh, uh, the aliens are the visitors, however you want to say it. And I don't think we're giving anything away by saying that you know there's aliens on that. I mean, it's a major plot point that things change, but uh, this isn't a spoiler. I, don't, I wouldn't say, would you? To say what what he sees with his sunglasses. Oh, it's right on yeah. the, it's right on the cover I mean, this, art. I think everyone knows. I, I wouldn't say yeah, it's really. a spoiler at all. Yeah. Uh the aliens, they're very interesting. They 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 first thing that catches your eye about them is that the masks are, you know, pretty pretty rough. Uh they look very animatronic, very planet of the apes. The mouth moves very mm-hmm. little. Uh and this is where you get the formaldehyde <laughs> face comment. <laughs> One, uh, he says something else to her, too, like, you're one ugly bitch oh, goes, or something he, like that. Saw, he says something like, your face looks like it's been sitting in the cheese dip since 1957. <laughs> <laughs> did they even have cheese dip in 1957? I don't know. That's a good point. I, I have no idea if they did. Um, <laughs> cheese dip seems to be a more modern kind of NFL <laughs> snack food. <laughs> yeah, I don't think the Johnny Unitas watchers were eating cheese dip back then, boy. <laughs> but, uh... Yeah, you know, they're walking around, and, you know, he sees them in the grocery store, and they're all walking around talking to their watches. Now, I found that hilarious, looking back on it, that they're just talking to these watches and walking at the same time. I just, I found it hilarious, and was actually, I watched this film by myself, and my wife was at work. Uh, good thing, because I actually was walking around my house, kind of talking to my wrist. I you had your Casio calculator watch on, eh? <laughs> Yeah, just kind of getting into the character a little bit. You know, I was like, I'm going to walk around going, yes, he's in the, he's in the meat section. So I was just walking around doing that and stuff, you know, kind of goofing off. Uh, yeah, he, he that, that's the thing that really just strikes me as odd looking back on this film, is how Piper goes from this really quiet character to this completely gonzo crazy action hero with one-liners that are unbelievable. And I'm not, I'm not going to quote the ones that, you know, we all know. I came here to chew bubble gum and kick ass, and I'm all out of bubble gum. Yeah, we know that one. My favorite one, though, I wrote down, and I only wrote down one. I'm sure you probably got more. My favorite one is uh, "Life's a bitch and she's I back." I wrote in that heat. one down too. That is a great line. <laughs> I'm like, what the hell? As, you know, I mean, it's it's great stuff. I mean, this is one of those films where the one-liners make the film, and it makes it kind of a cult film immediately. I mean, even though this film has a very deep message, and it's one of the best of the horror films with messages and stuff about conformity and, and how we, you know, yeah, we live our lives kind of, you know, massive consumption, but we don't really do anything. There's a lot of great points in here and stuff, and I love. All the black and white stuff with the very simple, you know, kind of generic looking uh, signs. You don't say obey and marry and reproduce. And, and, uh, yeah, marry and reproduce and stuff like that. And you could argue that this is what society wants us to do because this maintains our civilization, right? That we do all these things and 
and maintains our economy and blah, 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 all this stuff. But, you know, I don't want to go too deep, like I said, into that because then we get on a political rant and we're not that show. No. So <laughs> let's talk about the scene where he, he kind of kidnaps the girl who, uh, you know, uh, what's her name? Meg Foster, man. Some of the weirdest eyes and hair combo in the history well, of cinema. Meg Foster, to me, is a little too mantastic for my tastes. Yeah, she does have a strong I mean, chin. Yeah, it's Bruce Campbell <laughs> with a with a wig on, basically, and blue eyes. <laughs> She's not very no. hot. And I always found that odd when they didn't get someone at least reasonably attractive. And no disrespect to Meg Foster, I'm sure she's a nice woman, but uh, a little too mantastic. Um, yeah, that that's uh, that's an interesting scene. The only thing I'll say before I kick it over back over to you regarding the scene is when they get to her apartment, it looks like most. Um, upper middle class or upper class 80s apartments in that there's a gray leather couch it overlooks the park mm-hmm. the only thing that was missing was the telescope overlooking the park <laughs> <laughs> yes exactly <laughs> oh man i love these old films too i love watching these films from the 80s and everybody has a tv in their in their living room and nowadays if you watch a film and it's made everybody has like a 47 or a 60 inch television back then everybody had like a 19 yeah and they had like a six <laughs> inch in their kitchen and you know, yeah. <laughs> very small televisions. Anyway, there's a scene where she, you know, gets a bottle of uh, bubbly, maybe it's champagne. I don't know what it was, scotch, something. She hits Piper on the back of the head, and this guy takes a fall that literally would cripple any human being on the face their of the planet. Their spine would come out the back of their head. <laughs> this is an amazing stunt, <laughs> <laughs> and he just kind of shakes it off and goes and hides under another yeah, house. Yeah, he just goes and kind of <laughs> he just curls up a little bit under a bridge and kind of shakes it off. It's like this this fall would kill. Most men. I think the the, the the best case scenario is quadriplegic. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> That's the best yeah. case scenario. Because he comes out of the window on a flip and lands flat on his back. And I'm like, ooh. And rolls down you know, a hill. And that stuntman, I don't, know, I don't know if that was Piper or not, but it was a very close body to oh, yeah. Piper. This guy rolls that. down like uh, a hill with like wooden like tree stumps and shit, too. Oh yeah, there's like there's like uh, boulders sticking out yeah. of there, man. I'm like, oh, this is a miracle this person didn't die. It's amazing. It's an amazing. Now let's talk about the fight scene a little bit. I won't go into it too much, but you know when I was growing up and watching this, and when this came out, I was uh, 15 years old. So uh, I remember the fight scene being this really long, drawn out fight scene. But going back and looking at it in retrospect, the fight scene's really only about four or yeah, five it's minutes. About five, five and a half minutes, and and. You know that still takes a long time because you think even your your average barroom brawl in a film is probably two minutes, maybe three minutes. Um, but I think it took them about three weeks to choreograph that, and it's interesting because I mean they really capitalize on on Piper being a wrestler because it really does feel like sort of a wrestling sort of you know when you get those uh, those no holds barred those back alley matches in wrestling where you know you kind of get the the rhythm of sort of the back and forth and you think he's down and he gets up and there's a cheap shot and he goes and gets a weapon from under the <laughs> under the ring and he hits him and it's really got that kind of feel to it yeah it really does now if for anybody that doesn't know this Roddy Roddy Piper is not Irish or Scottish he is actually Canadian and boy does it come through in some dialogue spoken in the he's film. actually from the town <laughs> I grew up in Scarborough which is a, a borough of Toronto that's where he's from yeah, it really kind of comes through. I know you say you don't speak much. You don't think you have that much of a Canadian accent, and you really don't compared to what some of the stuff I heard in here. Uh, it really comes out that he's very Canadian in this film. Uh, I don't think you know he was trying to hide it at all, you know. And I'm so used to Roddy Roddy Piper doing the crazy, you know, 
you know, type of talking and everything. So well, even when he played the Scotsman, he didn't even try and do a Scottish accent. In hindsight, yeah. What was up? And, and, and going back and thinking about that, what was up with that? Well, I know it just it, he didn't even try to. It wasn't even like uh, Brad Pitt doing an Irish accent. I mean, it's just you know he didn't bother. It's like I'm going to put a kilt on and now he yeah, I'm Scottish. bagpipes when I come out. I'm Scottish. Insta Scott. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Really kind of bad, but yeah, he's very Canadian, and it really comes through in this film. But yeah, yeah, Keith David, you know, he's a big dude. You know, Piper's a big guy. He's not a small guy. He's very uh, built, strong individual. Uh, he's in good shape in this film. Uh, of course, you know, he's a very he, well, not a very old man, but he's an older man now, and not in as great shape as he used to be. But and his knees are bad. I don't know if you've seen him wrestle in recent times, but uh, yeah, he's not quite the specimen he used to be. Uh, but you know. He's really good in this film. That's what I want to say more than anything. He really carries the film pretty well. It is a weird idea to go from, as we said, the quiet uh, man with no name to the the uh, belligerent uh, wrestler that he kind of becomes in this film. Uh, but he has presence on screen, I believe. Uh, I don't know if you agree, but I think he... I think he could have been a good action hero if he'd have picked some better projects. After well, this. I think considering some of the men who have done sort of direct-to-video action, he certainly would have been an upper echelon direct-to-video guy. I mean, he's better than Dudikoff. He's better than uh, Jan Michael Vincent. Um, he's better than a lot of guys, really. Um, he's He would have been great, yeah. I agree, he's got the look. Uh, he's got the comedic timing, which you need for sort of that 80s action uh thing you know uh he he should have been should have been bigger in that uh that market we need to see a film of his called legless larry and the lipstick lady nice. so <laughs> i don't know what the fuck that yeah. is but we need to see that <laughs> guy's got a lot of films coming out yeah, this year it's a bit of a renaissance i guess the wrestler kind of brought him back into the consciousness like seven there's like seven films coming That's out crazy anyway Back on point, uh, yeah, I just want to say uh, Buck, George Buck Flowers in this film, and George Buck Flowers is one of those character actors that you know you see and you're like, oh, it's that guy. Uh, we love talking about those guys. He actually has a bit more of a part in this one, though. Carpenter loves him and uh, gives him a little bit more of a part in this one. And I really like the scene toward the end of the film when, uh, I don't think I'm giving it away when I say that Buck Flower, George, he is, uh, he's conformed a little, and I love how civilized he is, drinking his champagne, and he's got that, like, it looks like a wig or a toupee <laughs> on, and he's walking around talking, and, and George Buckflower has one of those voices that is unique, probably one of the most unique Hollywood voices of all time, very southern gentleman, who uh, actually says a phrase in here that I grew up hearing all the time, which is, believe you me. Uh, that's actually something we say down here quite often, you know, as people will be talking about something, they'll be like, wow, man, you see that? I ain't, you know, they'll say, I ain't seen a storm like that in forever, believe you me. And uh, we'll actually say stuff like that down here. And uh, so that was really a pleasant surprise to hear the believe you me again. <laughs> oh, yeah. All right. So the only other thing I really got to add is I really liked the uh, the ending of this film. I really uh, enjoyed it. I love the way it's it ends. It caps it off just the way it needs to be. This is a, a cult film. This is a film that uh, people talk about all the time because of it's kind of a unique uh, action, science fiction, horror hybrid. I don't even know if there's any horror in it at all, Not really, really. Except for some mask. Yeah, I mean, I guess it depends on how you react to the mask that the uh, aliens wear. But this is just one of those unique films, and uh, it's got quite a cult status, and uh, it needs to be in anybody's collection. And again, I just want to thank uh, Wormy for sending me a copy because uh, it was great to revisit this thing. I'll go ahead and kick yeah, it off. Yeah, I also will because the first note I have is it's a shame the Region 1 disc, which I own, is as bare bones as it is. 
Um, this film yeah. deserves a little bit more uh, star treatment than it's gotten, and thankfully the copy that Wormwood sent me as well, um, it has that car- that commentary, which you and I are big fans of, uh, commentaries. Mm-hmm. Um, the one, the first note I have about this film is that this doesn't, to me, doesn't really feel like a Carpenter film, uh, in a lot of ways. It, it, you know, it doesn't have Cundy shooting it, it doesn't have your typical Carpenter score. I mean, there's times when it has a Carpenter score kind of vibe, like, oddly enough, whenever sort of the, the police or military are kind of marching, it has sort of this dark kind of, uh, Carpenter vibe. But other than that, it really doesn't. It has that bluesy 80s kind of action staple score to it. Yeah, um, it yeah. almost feels like a slower kind of McTiernan type film uh, vibe to me. Yeah, the score the score also reminds me of like a uh, like Forty Eight Hours kind of. Yeah. You know how that music was in that. Yeah, the Walter Hill stuff from the yeah. 80s. No, yeah, that's absolutely right. Um, speaking of McTiernan, you know, I think I almost wonder. I would be very curious to see a version of this directed by him with Arnie and Carl Weathers in it. Awesome. <laughs> I think you know that they'd kind of turn out, turn it up a little bit in terms of the the pacing, and I don't have a problem with the pacing, but it would have been a very different film, and I think it would be as equally a, as fun a film. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, to see, I would I would I would like I would be uh, in line to see that film. Yes, that would be yeah, awesome. It just would have been great um, to keep the spirit of tough tits going. Seven minutes in, <laughs> and we get to see Piper's tough tits. Um, yeah, exactly. It's it's pretty impressive. You know, he he looks a lot more muscular in this than he I remember him as a wrestler. Yeah, he 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 was uh, never the uh what's the good word here? He was never the toned kind of muscular guy. He was brutally strong and he is pretty big, but uh you got to remember most of the time he was fighting or wrestling Hulk Hogan, so you know, and Hogan was a little bit more of a a bigger dude, you know. Yeah. So, yeah, he always looked like a midget compared to Hogan. And he's a big guy, which is, you know, the thing. Oh, yeah. You know, it's, it's he, he's so muscular that when he has his shirt off, he makes Keith David look slim. Because there's scenes where <laughs> Tough Tits Piper is, is doing construction with his shirt off, and Keith David's wearing his purple tank top, and Keith David looks almost lanky and out of shape in comparison. And we get the one thing we always talk about in that scene. We get the brief look at Piper, which borders on homoeroticism, because Piper's been over... Yep. <laughs> With no shirt on, Sweaty. and he's digging into the earth there, and then Keith Davis looking at him, and I'm waiting for him to wipe drool from his lips. <laughs> <laughs> yep. The homoeroticism in action movies was still alive in 1988. <laughs> oh, God, yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, I thought, I liked that they, they, early on in the film, they kept sort of doing shots of these large, looming, f- sort of faceless kind of skyscrapers, very cold kind of look at... Uh, you know, just those shots of skyscrapers. I really liked them early on in the film. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. It was nice to see Buck Flower in sort of a larger role because, yeah, usually he's he's uh, you know got maybe one line max or two lines in a Carpenter film, and and uh, so it was nice to see him. It's weird to see him in a tuxedo though because usually you know he'll play a fisherman or <laughs> you know kind of a salt of the earth, a bum. Yeah, a bum. Yeah, I bet he's played. I bet he's played more bums than any other actor in movie yeah. history. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, you're right, man. And he even starts this film as a bum, yeah. and then turns into a. T- t- he sits on the couch at the the sort of shanty town for like the first two thirds, all, all all until he's in a tuxedo. He's sitting on the couch watching TV, yeah, saying he has a headache. Um, you know, the weird thing about this film is, as an action movie, it really takes its time to get into the action. I think it's thirty or forty minutes in before we see anything in the way of action. Yeah, this film really screams low budget. I mean, I don't know how much the film cost, but I can uh, tell you. Yeah, I mean. Now, go ahead and tell $3 me. Three like million dollars. 
And yeah, it, it shows. Mm-hmm. It's it's a real cheap film. I mean, it's obvious they used some like underground tunnel system for the alien lair. Uh, the way the aliens travel, uh, boy, that's about as cheap as it gets. Yeah, but I liked it. I mean, it adds the. That. I know I, I liked it too. I like the uh, I like the simplicity of it. Kind of the simplicity of those science fiction movies from the eighties is gone now because now we can do anything we want to with CGI, right? Mm-hmm. No, absolutely. Um, what else do I got here? Um, I, of course, I really. Like, I think we'll probably talk about the. You know what? I'll leave that for my. Uh, I think that was my make or break. Probably, I'm not going to talk about it now. Um, yeah, I really like the, uh, like you said, the, what he, the, the sign, single bay, and Marion reproduce, no independent thought. Um, I liked it, the money, when he puts it on, it says, this is your God. You know, I thought yeah. that was great. Um, some of the one-liners I liked, too, was well, he sees one of the alien chicks primping in a mirror, or putting on lipstick, and he goes, that's <laughs> like pouring perfume on a pig. <laughs> that's uh, yeah, I, I love, he's just such an asshole after he puts the sunglasses on. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's like he, he has no tact whatsoever. I mean, you know, if, if I put those on, I'd be freaking out, and I'd probably be trying to hide somewhere. He's walking around and making fun of these people. He, yeah, he becomes like the alpha male, you know, <laughs> you know, to the nth degree. And it's funny because then um, he sees one of them talking to their watch, and he kind of gets the shotgun out, and he goes, Mama don't like tattletales. <laughs> Proceeds to blow the guy away. <laughs> oh, that's yeah, awesome! I just that's that's awesome. That's one, I forgot about that line. That's one of my favorite. Mama don't like titles. Yeah. <laughs> I think it was at the bank when he goes into the bank. Yeah, because there's a nice splatter on the wall too, which they could get away with because it was in black and yeah. white. Yeah, yeah. And uh, you know, Keith David when he finally, after he convinces Keith David to uh, to put the glasses on after that big fight. And let me say, when I watched it this time, there was a huge scrape on the back of Keith David's head in that scene that. Looked really painful because you know he's got that bald yeah, head. Yeah, I, 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 I almost think that was real. Maybe it might have been, man, because you know he does a few like the German suplex and I mean all these moves, and he might have scraped his head, man. It looked, uh, it looked pretty bad. <laughs> you know, <laughs> they uh, it's almost as bad as that cut last week off the desk when we were talking Dude, about our top. That's 10 just list. starting to heal now. <laughs> <laughs> like I may have a scar from that cut. Um. <laughs> Uh, I had read actually that the fight scene that they had spent so much time doing it, but I had actually actually read also that uh, Piper and David had pretty much uh, kind of put that thing together themselves. I could see that, and that maybe what maybe that's why it took so long because neither one of them. I mean, even Piper does have wrestling training, obviously, so he knows. Yeah, he you know how to how to fake a fight, but still, he could carry Keith a little bit. And I think I read somewhere or heard an interview with Carpenter that they actually practiced that fight in Carpenter's backyard at his house. I think I remember hearing that. <laughs> oh, the $3 million budget, I can yeah, see that. Yeah, <laughs> uh, It's like, come on over, we'll smoke some weed and fight in the yeah, backyard. Yeah, a few beers and, yeah. <laughs> you know, and then I get, like, the yeah, the match in the backyard. Uh, another line I like of his is when, yeah, Keith David finally puts the glasses on. He goes, but where are these guys from? He goes, well, they ain't from Cleveland. <laughs> It's like, what the hell's wrong with Cleveland? Yeah, I know. <laughs> uh, just a few observations. I, I just, I wondered why everyone was tucking in their shirts and their sweatshirts and then pulling their pants up to their nipples. <laughs> yeah, and Keith David's awesome because he has that purple shirt and he, you know, and yet he still tucks it into a pair of khakis. Well, that's the interesting thing. He has a purple tank top and then a purple sweatshirt that he tucks into khakis. <laughs> it's... I don't, I don't understand the fashion in this film at all. No. It's, it's just, it's... 
bad 80s clothing all yeah. over the place. Oh, it really is. Um, like you had said, I really like the idea to go with the black and white. It worked on a number of levels when he put the glasses on. It gives it a very dramatic, sort of ominous look, almost like a few things. 50s science fiction and 50s communist propaganda. Right. Which right. I thought it was a great idea to go with that, because if you went with color, it would have really changed things. Uh, it would have, wouldn't have mm-hmm. had the same effect. Uh, there's some great splatter on a chalkboard when the underground meeting happens. Yes. That is in color. <laughs> and I've never seen that much uh, gray matter and blood splattered on a chalkboard, so that looked kind of cool. <laughs> that was awesome. Um, near the end, the shootout that happens, it's sort of in the corridors and this and that. It felt like a combination of the original Assault on Precinct 13 at the end when... Um, Oh, what's his name? Not uh, uh, I can't think of his name. The, anyway, the, the the two principals in uh, Assault on Precinct Thirteen, where they're kind of fighting through the uh, the underground of the pre- the uh, the precinct. Yes. It felt like that to me, sort of tight. It did. I think it had a lot to do with those uh, red flares and things because Carpenter likes to use those. Oh yes, yes, because they use them in that. They kind of when they're fending them off. Yeah, that's uh, some pretty funny stuff between him and Keith David when uh, they start coming down that alleyway and he's going, you know, he's saying his name and he's like, what? And he's like, what? And what? And he goes, oh, shit. <laughs> this is real high. It's like I never heard Keith David say anything that high before in my life because he's typically always like, hello, my name is Keith David. Yeah, his voice is real low, <laughs> you know. Yeah. And that, in that moment he's like, oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Pretty funny. It's like man. they gave him a hit of helium or something before he did that. And then to, I, I love the the way they explain the getaway thing with the watch, and that they just cut a hole in the ground and put or, <laughs> put a light up through it. Oh, I know it's yeah, exactly. It's like it becomes like a manhole cover. They just ripped off, and you know, <laughs> off you go. Um, awesome. Yeah, that was great. Uh, just a couple more things. I thought that there's a line near the end of the film when sort of this uh, this this moral kind of right wing. Uh, politicians talking about um, how filmmakers like George Romero and John Carpenter are corrupting our youth. I thought it was a nice little <laughs> little line in the film. Um, the last note I have is I had mentioned that I would pay good money for a John McTiernan, uh, Carl Weathers, and Arnie version of this. I would also pay good money for uh, an Italian knockoff of this. Oh, God, yes. Wouldn't that be awesome? <laughs> I mean, I can't believe I can't believe there's not one really. Yeah, I cannot believe it. Hans, you, anyone, if you know of an, an Italian knockoff or or something like that of this film, let us know because I would love to see that. Yes, yeah, so would I. Uh, that would be amazing. Oh, it would. It absolutely would. Because I know they've ripped off Predator. Speaking of Matiernin and and a few other ones, but uh, they live, surprisingly. Um, those are all the notes I have. I don't know what... Uh, you want me to go over my make-or-break first, or you want to? I'll go ahead and go over mine first. Uh, my make-or-break scene in this film is the... Uh, I'm going to go a little differently here. I'm, I'm going to say that uh, I really enjoyed the scene in the uh, little rinky-dink grocery store <laughs> where, where Piper loses his mind. Uh, it just it, it just like they flip a switch, and now this movie just changed like immediately right then and there. Yeah, uh, he, he's dumbfounded for a good ten minutes in the film with the sunglasses and looking at the magazines and everything. But then he gets into the grocery store and he figures he's had it, you know, and he's just going to start spouting off one-liners. And that's really the beginning of what I think makes this film kind of a cult film is the the script and the one-liners and the way it's kind of set up from that point on. Because, like you said, it is kind of a slow start, uh, but once it gets going, it really gets going. And before you know it, it's it's over. I mean, it it ends quickly. I oh mean, yeah, it's a ninety-minute film, very quick. Yeah, it's a very quick movie, and uh, yeah, I'm gonna go with that scene because I really like that. And he goes, "You not so bad, but you, 
formaldehyde face. <laughs> yeah. I, I, just, I love the way he says that. It's like, what the hell, man? <laughs> yeah, that was good. It, yeah, it's just, yeah, it's funny that they just flipped that switch. And yeah, I'll get into that actually in a minute. Okay. And my MVT for this movie, it's not going to be Carpenter this time because I think this is actually, in the retrospect of Carpenter's canon, even though I love this film, don't get me wrong, uh, this isn't one of his. As you said in your statement, I think at the beginning when you talked, this is probably the best example, or one of the best examples of this not really feeling like a Carpenter movie. Uh, it has some things, you know, the lone hero, he loves that. It has some Western elements, so it has some Carpenter touches, but it really doesn't feel like a Carpenter movie at all. I mean, there's the Assault on Precinct 13 stuff and, and all that stuff, so I'm not going to give it to him. I'm going to go ahead and give the MVT to Roddy Roddy Piper because I love watching this guy in this movie. I love watching his lack of acting ability and his... A bit of acting ability he has from his wrestling days. Now, like I said before, I think he has great charisma on the camera, and the camera loves him. But <laughs> he he manages to not only be a bad actor in this film, but a good actor as well, and that's hard to do. Okay, <laughs> yeah, you can't be bad and good in the same movie, and he manages to do that, and I find that pretty amazing. And I really loved him in this movie. Uh, of course, I have a fondness for him anyway because I grew up during the whole Hogan-Piper heyday and Piper's Pit and all that <laughs> stuff. I grew up during that too. So, you know, I, I always love the guy for that, you know. So that's going to be my MVT. My score for this film is a very solid eight. Like a lot of Carpenter's works, uh, as the more I watch them and the more I revisit them, the more I love them. I mean, I really just think it's a shame this guy, we talked about this when we reviewed The Fog, I just really think it's a shame that this guy doesn't make more movies now. And, you know, he's an older man. Maybe he doesn't want to and... Maybe he's blown his wad. I don't know. I mean, there's been so many films that he supposedly he's coming back and making and stuff. But I don't know, man. I mean, this might be one of the last uh, good hurrahs for uh, him and his filmography. There's a couple other moments and some films after this, but uh, mostly in the Mouth of Madness, I believe. But, I mean, you know, you say what you want to say about Ghost of Mars and vampires and stuff. It has some moments, but uh, I don't know. I'm not going to go into those films because we're not reviewing those films. But I, I really look back on this one fondly, and it's a uh, it's 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 a really good film for what it is. And you know, three million dollars, very simple story, very low budget. I mean, it's pretty good. I mean, it shows Carpenter still has or still had the ability to make a solid little movie. Yeah, absolutely. And before I get into my points, I just thought of this. Um, you may think, well, that was in 1988, three million, still not that much, not that bad of a number. But look at um, Terminator 2. I think that came out in 91. That cost over $100 million. And is it a better film? Sure. Is it more visually dynamic? Sure. But considering They Live's budget is $3 million compared to the 100 plus million that uh, James Cameron had, I think, you know, again, I mean, that's a pretty small budget uh, when you stop and think about it. That is. It's very low budget. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. My stuff. Uh, my make or break is sort of... Um, it's tied in with your thing. It's it's the sort of when Piper first puts on the glasses because at this point we're starting to get a little bit anxious. You know, it's been about forty minutes or so. Nothing's real ha really happened, real exciting, and this isn't this is more of an eighties action movie than it is anything else. And you know, Carpenter's slow burn stuff is great, um, but this isn't really that film or that kind of film. So you're kind of wanting to, to see something get get you moving here. Um, so when he first puts on the glasses and and he almost becomes. Uh, Jack Nicholson at the height of his lunacy as an action hero uh, meets sort of blue collar worker, you know, and just zinging the lines, uh, you know, just yeah, just becomes this wild eyed lunatic. Um, so that that you was know, you know, it's funny what you said there, the word anxious, because going back and watching this again, I kept thinking, when are you going to put the fucking sunglasses on? Yep. <laughs> How many times do I have to watch you handle these sunglasses and not put them on? Now. 
in real in reality, most people wouldn't you know just grab a bunch of sunglasses would automatically put them on because most people you know I mean you only need them on a sunny day. But uh, yeah, I kept thinking I don't know why, but I guess it's because I'd seen the film before. It's like when are you going to put these fucking sunglasses on? Oh yeah, because then it really kicks the film into overdrive. Yes, you know. Um, so that's my make or break. Uh, my MVT. I really did think about wanting to do Piper because through sheer will, Piper makes it work on his end. Um, <laughs> He makes he stretches the the acting because let's face it he was a very charismatic wrestler but he takes uh-huh. what little sort of acting skill he has and and just stretches it as far as he can and through sheer will it works but <clears throat> my MVT for the film is um, the concept of the film uh, just the idea of instead of these aliens with this aggressive scorched earth tactic you know they've sort of integrated into society and uh, it's all about you know sort of social commentary of, of us being slaves to the almighty dollar and consumerism and stuff so the concept and the combination of concept and social commentary um within the framework of an 80s action film um is what appeals to me the most and i think is the most valuable thing about the film yeah and it's actually the message is actually more poignant now if you watch it now it is and i wrote it's that right. down and just for the sake of us running long i didn't mention it but it's still up until you know a new and then again I'm, this isn't a political show but up until uh, uh president obama came into power um this would have been a very timely um thing because this was made during the end of the reagan uh, administration right before bush senior came into power so or the right. year he came into power so i mean you know, it really was a Republican, uh, you know, time, and and that's uh, what uh, Carpenter was saying. My score for the film is a touch lower than yours. It's a seven point seven five out of ten. Um, you're right with a lot of Carpenter's films. I think the more you watch them, the more you like them. Um, yeah, this one I, I'd always liked. I didn't. I don't think it's quite as good as a lot of people make it out to be. But then, film's subjective. So who am I to uh, to say what what should or shouldn't be sort of uh, put on a pedestal? Um, I do think it's a fantastic film, though, and it's interesting as a, as a as an exercise in style that's very different from a lot of Carpenter's other things. Uh, right across the boards, uh, you know, the look, the music, everything, the, the tone, everything is very different. Um, but it's again, it just goes to show how diverse he is, and, and you know, uh, further cements his status as one of my all-time favorite filmmakers. So, uh, seven point seven five out of ten. Nice. And I, I sorry, one more thing before we get off this. Uh, you're right, and just further to the whole thing of this not feeling like a Carpenter film, Ghost of Mars feels like more of a Carpenter film than this does to me, because the the score and some of the uh, the cinematography feel in that film feels more Carpenter-esque than this does. Yeah, even I'll agree. I, mean, I was underwhelmed by Ghost of Mars, but yeah, even I'll agree that Ghost of Mars feels more like a Carpenter film than this film does. Mm-hmm. Alrighty, so those are our scores for They Live. Again, guys, make sure you check out the new Paris Cinema magazine, which has They Live on the uh, cover and has a great... Uh, a limited edition cover, which is very inspired by They Live. So make sure you guys check that out. So paracinema.net. So we are going to go to our last break, come back with some feedback. Popsyndicate.com. Your one stop for all your unhealthy obsessions. Breaking news and in-depth reviews on all of your favorite movies, music, TV shows, podcasts, comics, books. Popsyndicate.com. Brooklyn from Schenectady, 93, got some clients in the food industry, 
He says it's not the money, it's the recipes He calls his mom Says he's doing fine Alright guys, we are back little catchy stuff there from uh, Fountains of Wayne, so. I have to let that play a little bit, because it's kind of catchy, and I'll be singing it all day. <laughs> Did they say Synecdoche, New York, there? Uh, they said Schenectady, but I don't know if it's New York or not. I think it was. Well, isn't, isn't, isn't there a Pennsylvania, too? Synecdoche? Pennsylvania? Maybe. Hell, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I need to see that film, though. Uh, I'm going to probably see it within a few days, and uh, I'll let nice. you know what I think. Awesome. Can't wait. All right, so we have uh, a couple emails and three voicemails, so we'll go ahead and jump right into it. Okay, the first one is from our good friend, Naked Eskimo. It's his, uh, after much poking and prodding, he decided to send us his top ten. And it says, top ten, drink up, boys, it's a long one. That's what she said, or something. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Uh, fine, I will bite. My list is by no means comprehensive because I have not seen Slumdog, Inside, Let the Right One In, Let There Be Blood, uh, There Will Be Blood, I think you meant to say. Yeah. Uh, and a whole score of other movies that are littered throughout people's top tens that I have the utmost confidence are better than the movies I'm about to list. Blame modern trips to the theater, running upwards of 25 bucks for two people for why I don't make it out too often. That, and we just don't get many of the big releases where I am. So apologies and caveats out of the way. The Eskimos Top 10 for 2008, otherwise known as the only 10 movies I saw this year that didn't suck ass. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, number 10, Incredible Hulk. So much, so very much better than Ang Lee's convoluted Snorefest, though I blame that film. Shortcomings on the script, not its direction. Norton makes an awesome banner, and Roth is always electrifying when it, he gets to show off how intense he can be. Dance of the Dead. Big thanks to Brother D from Mail Order Zombie, and he puts the uh, email, the website, mailorderzombie.com, kids, uh, for turning Barb and I onto this one. A great little teeny bopper zombie flick with actors that actually look like high schoolers and characters that don't make me want to kill myself and come back as a zombie so I can eat them. Mulberry Street. It seems like every year that After Dark Shit Festival manages to deliver one movie that isn't complete garbage. Mulberry Street was that one this year for me. Awesome exercise in true guerrilla filmmaking and a pretty entertaining twist on the zombie film. Tropic Thunder. I enjoyed this one more than uh, should have been possible. I don't think Downey deserved an Oscar or even a nomination, but whatever. The whole cast did a good job, and I laughed uncontrollably at more than a few of the gags. Iron Man. This is the movie I think Downey should have been nominated for if he got a nom at all. He was perfect at Tony Stark, and he was right up there with the first Spider-Man for me in terms of how much fun I had watching it. Sweeney Todd. I'm a bit of a Fairweather musical fan. I really like the good ones, but not the West Side Story types for the most part. I much prefer films like this, where the music blends so seamlessly, you forget they're singing some, by far. Nope, I'm jumping around here. Singing sometimes. Cloverfield. Hands down, one of the most visceral, visceral movie-going experiences I've ever had. Uh, they somehow managed to make me forget that there was a ton of CG in this movie. The ending was a bit wonky for me, but everything up to that point was just amazing. Best use of the motion sickness cam since Blair Witch by far. Number three, Shotgun Stories. I can't conjure another movie to mind that did a better job of showing sadness, anger, and bitterness better than Shotgun Stories. It helps that I honestly grew up with the characters in the movie, and at one point in my life, I was kind of sun for a while. Thank you guys for bringing this movie into my life. Rambo. Brutal, mean, and bloody. What's not to like? Rambo was a glorious throwback to the days when action films, and films in general, catered to adults instead of middle schoolers. That early scene with the bow will forever be one of the most jarring things I've seen in a Stallone film. Number one, The Dark Knight. I love Batman Begins. I love Bateman as Bruce Wayne. I dislike the Batman voice. I stand in absolute awe of Heath Ledger's Joker. Quite, quite possibly one of the most amazing villains in cinema history. 
and entirely deserving of the post-mortem Oscar. There you go, dudes. I'm pretty sure I would eliminate half this list if some of the other movies in a way that I didn't get around to seeing, but that's what I've got. Naked Eskimo. What's your problem with the Batman voice? <laughs> Good one, Sammy. <laughs> uh, no, uh, hey, Mulberry Street. Didn't you? Haven't you seen that? Didn't you talk about that before? I loved. I yeah. I love Mulberry Street. I think it is a great, great example of uh, what someone with skill and passion can do with a very low budget. Um, I highly, highly recommend all of you seek out this film. It's a, it is a great little take on the zombie film. It's a very authentic New York feeling film, which is rare in this day and age. Um, I, I hope everyone goes to see it because this guy is going to be a good filmmaker uh, once he gets rolling here with a, a halfway decent budget. I need to check that out. You know, it's one of those ones that I just never have gotten around to watching. I need to watch that. Good film, man. Good acting for a, for a, a, a low budget horror film too. I'm gonna have to check it out. Yeah, it's interesting stuff. Yeah, most of the stuff on his list I agree with. I mean, uh, there's some stuff in there, obviously, that, you know, uh, I probably wouldn't put on my list, and obviously I didn't. But, yeah, I mean, I agree with him. It's hard to get out to the movies nowadays, $25 for two people. And he obviously lives in a small town like I do, so you don't get a lot of the uh, premier uh, critically acclaimed stuff until, you know, DVD practically sometimes. So you really have to either, one, travel or... Hunt stuff down by region twos, whatever. I mean, you got to do all kinds of craziness to see some of these movies. Yeah, it's a shame. I mean, even for us in Canada, I think it costs just for admission alone. It's you know twelve to fifteen bucks a person. You know. Yeah. So then there's thirty. I mean, you can go out for a nice steak dinner with your wife, and it's going to be cheaper than seeing a movie. Yeah, I mean, it's just, that's that's a real shame to me. And uh, you know, they 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 want to blame piracy and whatnot, but uh, I blame the fact that people are. Uh, pirates and then uh, get movies that way on the fact that they don't release these movies. They, you know, they talk about them, talk about them, talk about them. Then they don't release them in New York and L.A. and maybe Toronto. And then, yeah, and and then they're like, oh well, I don't know why people are downloading. Well, it's it is chicken or egg, and I think very clearly, you know, it is a situation. Actually, it's not chicken or egg to me. Like they're saying, it's it's more that, like you said, yeah, they don't release films everywhere. And further to that. Um, it's the fact that, wow, I totally lost my train of thought with what I was about to say. Oh, God. Um, oh, I can't believe I did that. Uh, we were talking about... Yeah, about downloading. Oh, well, this is the stuff. cost. Sorry, the cost. People download. It's like, maybe if it didn't cost an arm and a leg and you didn't have to sell an organ to go to the movies, people would go more. My, my solution would always be, you know what, if you don't want to... If, if you don't want to people to pirate the movie why not just make it available from download on day one if people want to stay home and watch the movie then why not just go ahead and you know charge like 10 bucks and download it at home or even five i mean it's like do you want no piece of the pie or a five dollar piece of the pie you decide seems to, me, seems to me like it'd be they'd make a better profit off downloads anyway because they wouldn't have to go through the process of printing all the prints they'd have to put out and ship distribution them all out. And, yeah. yeah i mean it'd be all be on one server and they could maintain that server you know so I don't know. Just, just another one. Just uh, the gentleman's guide way of uh, kind of throwing out there what we think the solution would be. <laughs> but then the theater owners would say, "Hang on a second now." <laughs> yeah. You know, so it, it's more. It's almost like the whole. Why aren't there more electric cars? Well, you know, you get the gas companies and the automobile, and I mean, it just it's it's you know a lot bigger of an issue. But I agree with what you're saying. I just think other people with other vested interests would complain. Right. And I think Cloverfield sucked nuts. I didn't finish it. <laughs> Sorry, Esky. I got to say that I hated it. Yes, you did. 
you've you've told me that quite often. (laughs) Yeah, so sorry, Eski, not knocking on you, because I'm sure some of the stuff I liked you thought sucked, but yeah. (laughs) All right, we got one other email from Tim. Yes, the legendary Tim, Ghetto Tim. His title is, Vishnu's All Right By Me. (laughs) Hey there, Slam and Sammy and Dynamite Willie. Sounds like a tag team. Uh, Tough tits. Tough tits team. Uh, <laughs> with an awesome cock rock 80s metal uh, theme song, I hope. Uh, I hoist a cold malted beverage to you, gents, as we speak, in honor of the last couple of episodes. Glad to see we agree on some of the same recommendations for the best of 2008. I personally thought that Man in the Wire was phenomenal as the best heist film in ages, and although I'm not much of a fan of Opie Howard, <laughs> he was firing on all four cylinders with Frost Nixon. Frank Langella was astonishing in his portrayal of Tricky Dick Nixon, and the story unfolded like a boxing match. Will, I absolutely have to wholeheartedly agree with you about Martyrs. Loger created a film that will take a blowtorch to your soul, and you will walk away feeling like you're on the receiving end of a curbing. I think Loger is one of the filmmak One of these... Hang on. I think Loger is one of these... Whoa. Uh, I think Lucia is one of these days uh, that understand that film is supposed to give you something that you carry away from the experience as opposed to forgetting three hours after viewing. Martyrs really planted some fucked up seeds in my head that I hope will never take root. In a recent episode, longtime gent Vishnu mentioned his difficulty in getting into some of the earlier spaghetti westerns. To Vishnu, I say this. It's all good, brother. If it doesn't get you by the gotcha, it's all right. Nobody's <laughs> keeping score, and it's all about personal taste anyhow. We can't all eat liver and onions or wear the red leather pants, can we? God, I hope nobody's wearing leather, red leather pants while eating liver and onions. <laughs> but I digress. The point is, we're all gents, and we all have our tastes and points of interest. Some people might think Bruno Mattei films are a big pile of shit, but I'd be happy to wade through that pile in a pair of open-toed bamboo sandals. <laughs> nice. <laughs> um... <laughs> In the end, we can share the films we love and loathe, but in the end, so long as we enjoy ourselves, who cares? So here's to you, Vish, and know that we're all in this together. P.S. I was thinking about the Tough Tits cast and wanted to add a few honorable memoried, uh, and a few honorable memoried that are in need of definite mention. And he, he, he picked some good ones here, boy. John Michael Thor, Rock and Roll Nightmare. <laughs> awesome. Awesome, awesome, awesome. He does have tough tits. He does. Uh, Lyle Elzado, rest in peace, Destroyer. Another awesome choice. Yes, that is. Uh, and he goes one step further to add a few ladies as well. Wendy O. Williams, Reform Schoolgirls. Sybil Danning, Reform Schoolgirls. Nice. Hope this one hasn't been... Yeah, very nice. Hope this one hasn't been too long, as Anne always keeps spit shining that trash. A cold one in your honor, Ghetto Tim. Um, yes. <laughs> I, I gotta say, I, you know, I love, love Tim's uh, emails. He really does have a way with words. And Tim and I had a conversation not too long ago um, where he was thinking about uh, taking his skills as a writer one step further. Um, and I don't want to say too much because I don't want to out him as the saying goes. Um in terms of what he was trying to do in case he doesn't do it. But, Tim, again, I highly recommend you do what we had talked about uh, because I think you're a fantastic writer and you really do have a way with words. And I agree, yes. And, uh, yeah, those are the great the women, female tough tits. We didn't think about that. But, yeah, Sybil Danning and Wendy Williams, I think those are all natural, too. So, Amen. Nice. Uh, Reform School Girls, that's a film that I haven't seen in four fucking ever. I need to see that again. Me neither. I wonder if it's on DVD. That's a good question. I wonder about that. Let's find that. that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Lala Zato, awesome destroyer. Yeah, that movie is is 
wicked bad, as they would say in the, the mass. <laughs> I think I might have it on VHS. <laughs> yeah, but it, it, I mean, wicked bad in the way that uh, it needs to be seen. So maybe that'll pop yeah. up on the gentleman list at some point. Isn't he shirtless on the cover with like a jackhammer or something in his hand? <laughs> he was always shirtless or oiled in everything he was in, it seemed to me. Not or, and. <laughs> and oiled. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> or sweaty. <laughs> always. Yeah. I, lo- I love that guy growing up. I just thought he'd be like the great action hero. Just, unfortunately, you know, he got ill and he just never really became that great action hero that he was destined to be, I guess. Yeah, it's it's too bad. Rest in peace, Lyle. And and I just one more thing in closing with Tim. I agree with everything he said. We don't all have to like the same stuff. And and I'm glad he. I couldn't have said it better myself. If she doesn't like it, fair enough. There's probably stuff that we don't like. So I mean, it's it's just the way it goes. Vintu Vintu. Vishnu is one of the gentlemen, and uh, you know we all have different tastes, different strokes for different folks. Yeah, and you'll hear from Vishnu here in a minute. Uh, we uh, yeah, if we all like the same thing. Uh, there'd be no need for podcast or any kind of commentary. It'd all be pretty boring. So, Amen. <laughs> all right, so we'll jump into some voicemail here. We got one from Valencia. She called in, too, including her pick for Ladies uh, Appreciation Month, but I added that out. So, Valencia, if you're wondering why these sound kind of funny, I'll just put them both together. So we'll go ahead and play this one. Hang on one sec. Hi, this is Valencia. I was just um, calling because, first of all, um, I like the list each individual list that y'all had. Um, I've seen uh, quite a few of those. Not all of them, but um, like my friend uh, made me watch Rambo about three weeks ago. I didn't think I was going to like it, but I ended up liking it. And he um, had it on Blu-ray, so. Um, Let's see. I've seen Wally. I wasn't expecting to like that one. I've seen, I own Snow Angels. I've seen Slumdog Millionaire. Hellboy 2, Iron Man, Dark Knight. Um, I really want to see Shotgun Stories and Let the Right One In and uh, Rachel Getting Married. Oh, yeah. There was something else I wanted to add to my last voicemail. Um, the day after the Oscars, one of my coworkers asked, mentioned Slumdog Millionaire, and she was like, she she said, she made a comment about it, and I was like, uh, yeah, I've seen it, and she was like, oh, I had never heard of it, and my mom was the same way, but if it wasn't for, um, podcasts like yours and the other, um, movie podcasts that I listen to, whether they're, um, pop syndicate related or not that's the only way I would have probably even heard of it because you know it's not it wasn't it wasn't in all major theaters so yeah I just wanted to give um, props to podcasts like yours for giving me a way of of letting me know about the different movies that are out there that aren't you know, widely known. Bye. All right, that was Valencia giving us a little praise there for turning her on to Slumdog. That's uh, that's high praise, and you know, I may have said this in the past, but it's it's humbling when people say things like that. And and the greatest gift we can give each other it, as film fans is is um, you know whether it's Valencia to us, us to Valencia, uh, Ghetto Tim to us, whoever, whichever way it goes, is to give each other um, films 
that they can discover and vice versa because that's really what it's all about as film lovers. Yeah, exactly. And hopefully we turned a bunch of people on to the good, the bad, and the weird today. Uh, that's what I'm hoping for so we can get a lot of conversation going about that one because I think people are really going to enjoy that if they check it out. Oh, yeah. All righty. So our next voicemail is from the gentleman Vish. There we go. <laughs> let's see what he's got to say. I know a little bit about what he has to say, but let's, see what he, let's let everybody hear what he's got to say. Good day, gentlemen. It's Vishnu. Um, first thing, I'm on a map. Play more of them. I know Willie will probably hate it, but they're awesome. <laughs> um, also, secondly, you mentioned uh, the wonders of macaroni and cheese and hot dogs. I'm sorry, Will. Really? <laughs> KD and hot dogs is fantastic. Will you, this, this oh. is the staple of the classy student diet. Um, <laughs> otherwise, I've got lots of notes and shit. Oh, um, I loved your lists. I agreed with most of them. One thing I really didn't agree with, Mr. Will, Ashes of Time. I was actually at the same screening as you, I do believe. And that was one of those movies that reminded me why I hate Wong Kar Wai. I fell asleep oh. in that screening. It was fucking dull as hell. It's, 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 you talk about being too arty and too, for the, for the kung fu crowd and too much kung fu for the art crowd. And I think I straddle that line between, the, I mean, you know, I am a well-out wanker and I like seeing people get punched in the face, but, you can't see anyone get punched in the face because the cinematography is so blurry. It's my least favorite Christopher Doyle if he did a helmet. I think he did. And it's just boring. Boring, boring, boring. Good Lord. Dollars. Mud. Um, great. Samo Hung, I think, choreographs the fight. But you can't see any of them. Bloody hell. Um, but you do redeem yourself with Martyrs because it is a just a punch to the dick. It's amazing. And everyone needs to see it without reading it. Um, Wally is also fantastic. One thing that makes me think, though, this seems to be the year of no dialogue. You've got Wally, you've got Hunger, which is great expanses of no dialogue. Um, and uh, there'll be Blood, which also had very, very sparse quiet. Maybe not dialogue, but the year of the quiet, shall we say. Um, no, no music, very, very little dialogue, very poignant when it was there. Um, to the Dark and KK and your little sister, I forget your name, I'm sorry, dear. Um, that was a great little family review. I actually really like that whole like family genre thing. One thing I would uh, recommend maybe for the Dark, obviously, if you watch them first, is it's going to sound odd, Mickey films for the little ones. He does some great kids films. Um, they mentioned that on OTC, but he does uh, Great Yokai War or Zebra Man. Um, great Yokai War, in a way, reminds me of old kids films he used to make in the 80s, like stuff like The Dark Crystal. It's a little bit scary, but it's got some great puppets and great effects, and really good, strong kid characters. Um, Taken, I did see, and it was fun, but uh, that was about it. Oh, Alan Clark, you mentioned Ray Winstone at Alan Clark movies. I don't know if you've seen um, a great movie back in the day called Ladies and Gentlemen, The Fabulous Stains. It's got a really, really, really young Ray Winstone. I didn't recognize him at first because he's like half the man he is now. He's tiny. He's really skinny. He's a little skinny British punk rocker in America. And he's got a really, really hot, probably inappropriately hot, young Diane Lane as his punk rock chick. <laughs> Fantastic. All right. That was it. Bye. <laughs> All right. That was Vish. Wow. Uh, you want to talk about the one car Y comment first? Or? <laughs> uh, I would I would love to. Um I got a lot of points, actually. He hit on a lot of great things here. Hot dogs and macaroni is disgusting, Vish. I'm sorry. I like both. Believe me, I'm not above it. I love fried bologna, or as we call it here, Newfie steak. Oh, nice. Um, 
because uh, the East Coasters love frying it up, and it's good with eggs. I, I'm not above sort of quote-unquote lowbrow food, but just together, it's just wrong. <laughs> Lips, assholes, and plastic cheese do not go together. <laughs> um, martyrs, I'm really heartened by the fact that you and Tim both, who I think are very knowledgeable, both got the punch in the dick, as you put it, that I did, nice. um, which encourages me uh, that when other people see it, like Sammy, we can all talk about our, our bruised cocks. <laughs> Uh, from that film, hmm. Ashes of Time. <laughs> Peter in Richmond, I saw it. I think it was at downtown. It was like a nine thirty a.m. screening. Um, like I said, you do okay. You do straddle the line, Vish, but his films are not for everyone. Uh, you were right. Doyle did lens it, and Doyle is one of the best cinematographers in the world. And it was a little bit in tight, but the film wasn't really about the martial arts so much. It was about uh, a lot of the other, the broader themes, I think, and. That's the thing with some of these really arty directors. Some people find them to just be pretentious assholes, and um, I I don't. I love Wong Kar Wai. Uh, he works for me. He doesn't work for you. Fair enough. Spaghetti Westerns don't work for you. They work for me. So, you know, such is life. Um, I completely agree with the Takeshi Miike discussion. Uh, great Yokai War and Zebra Man are two great examples of um, Asian cinema that Doc could show KK and potentially Quinny, but that's for him to decide, not me. Uh, Yokai War almost has a never-ending story feel to it. Uh, I think also Tim and Vishnu need to do a podcast together. It would be <laughs> incredible, informative, and it's, and hilarious. And the movie he's talking about, ladies and gentlemen, this fabulous stains or whatever it's called. I've always wanted to watch it. Um, it's I heard it was uh, a lot of fun. So yeah, there. Yeah, Vish, uh, I feel the same way about arty directors sometimes. I, I think, and, and the way you said too, I think you either get them sometimes or you don't. And uh, you know. That they're not for everybody, you know. I love Kubrick, but I guarantee you, for every time I say I love Kubrick, I, I meet five or six people who say, "Oh God, those movies are so boring," you know. Or you know what I would say, Sammy? I would almost say it's not even because I think you know. I know maybe we're splitting hairs from getting into semantics, but it's not even so much get them or don't. It's you either go along for what they're saying or don't. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like it's not a matter sometimes of not getting. It's just it's not for you. It's either for you or it's not. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> you know. Yeah, not all genres are for everybody, but. I will also agree with what he said about the 2008 being kind of the year of no dialogue. I think what I consider 2008 to be was the year of simple stories told well. Uh, there was a lot of great uh, films that we talked about in our uh, top ten list. If you go back and look at them, they're very simple narratives just told really well. So I think that's the key to 2008. If you really sum, if I was to sum it up into one sentence, that's what it would be. Simple narratives told really well. So Well... You're right, and let's look at three very different films very, very quickly. Martyrs, Hunger, and Wally all have very Kubrick influences in them. Mm -hmm. uh, that they let what's happening, uh, they take their time with the shots, and it's not quick cuts, and they're, they enable themselves to unfold nicely. I think what we're starting to see is kind of the rebirth of the, the cinema that takes its time to tell its story, which is what uh, I'm anticipating happening, and I'm very hopeful that it does happen. And we get away from... A lot of the insane cutting sometimes that has its place. Don't get me wrong. I'm you know I'm a child of the '80s and '90s too. So, but I'd like to see some more you know subtle pacing and not so much uh, hit me over the head all the damn time. <laughs> yeah, the the Red Bull, the Red Bull. Yeah, give me another Red Bull. <laughs> all righty. <laughs> so we got one last voicemail here from Demise. I'll play it now. Hi, this is Demise. Uh, I realized I hadn't called in about shotgun stories. I'm one of those people that you guys talk about so much that I had to go see it. Um, even though if I'm from California, I was raised up in the rodeo hills of the Sierra Nevadas and not down in the beachy towns, so I thought maybe I could relate to this one. And I was amazed at how much I did. My uh, 
the main character, played by Mike Shanahan, is the epitome of what I think my dad was in his younger years, as far as the fighting and the gambling and the things like that. And I, I just kept seeing my dad, and I even called my mom and said, you got to watch this movie, you'll see my dad. And uh, then the other one was one who really didn't want to get involved. I see him next to myself and the other two brothers were, you know, you're going to stand up for each other and you're going to go kick somebody's ass, but I was never one for the violence. And I think if somebody had pushed me to it, I probably would pull out a gun versus try and actually punch him out because I'd get my ass kicked. <laughs> but, and all this coming from a girl on a, a guy's type storyline, but <laughs> that's how I was raised. And uh, I just want to say thank you for introducing me to this movie. Uh, I definitely plan on getting everybody in my family to watch it. And uh, keep up the great show, guys. And next time you get a cut there, take a break. Don't be such a man. <laughs> Tape it up. Do something. Don't just sit there and keep talking and believe it. Because that wouldn't do good for any of us podcasting listeners out here. Take it easy, guys. Bye. <laughs> yeah, that was Demise uh, commenting on your cut. <laughs> you know, I had my shirt off, my red leather pants on. I figured in the I would be letting down my forefathers of tough tits if I let this cut get in the way of my mission. But the, the cut's starting to heal. It may scar, but that's okay. It's all right. got to have our scars. <laughs> yeah, she had an emotional response, I think, or you know, an emotional you know reaction to Shotgun Stories, which is what we're hearing a lot from a lot of people that have seen it. Uh, that's great. You know, it reminded me, too, of, uh, like I say, when we reviewed it, it reminded me a lot of growing up and things. And uh, It's good people are checking out this film. I mean, you know, we, we talk about... But behind the scenes, to give you guys an idea, we talk about sometimes our our legacy of what we're turning people onto, and and this is one that we're very happy that people are going out and checking out because we've mentioned it. Uh, we're very proud of that, and hopefully more people will keep checking it out. Absolutely, and thanks for that demise again. We're happy that you uh, you enjoyed it. Yeah, uh, the only film I can think of that reminds me of my dad is uh, Conan the Barbarian, but uh, you know that's, just, that's, <laughs> that's 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 for another time and another psychological <laughs> podcast. <laughs> Nice. Good <laughs> uh, the lamentation of the women. Uh, anyway. <laughs> All right. Wicked. So that is the end of episode 22. Uh, next week, I think we're going to come back and uh, cover some very interesting films uh, that you guys should be into. Uh, I'll, I will go ahead and mention what my pick will be. My pick will be... Uh, a little film that a lot of people don't know about or I haven't watched, but it's uh, we're going to do some Bronson. We're going to get the Bronson in there. We've been trying to get him in there forever, and here we go. Uh, we're going to do a little serial killer film known as Ten to Midnight, which is a lot of fun, and uh, looking forward to it. Bronson and Andrew Stevens. You can't ask for much more stone-faced acting in one film than you get in this one. So, <laughs> Oh, yeah. that's uh, And you and I have said that Bronson's on the Gentleman's Guide Mount Rushmore, so it will be nice to getting around to his... Something from his uh, catalog. Uh, my choice is the first in our now ongoing series of Cinema de Bazaar films. Uh, bi-weekly, we're going to be doing a Cinema de Bazaar film. Uh, the first one I've opted to cover is one called Cry of a Prostitute. It's a little Euro crime film starring the god known as Henry Silva. Uh, it's sort of uh, it's directed by Andrea Bianchi. It's basically a sleazy Euro crime riff on the whole Yojimbo uh, storyline. So, oh wow, I can't wait to watch that thing. And Barbara Boucher filleting a banana to entice Henry Silva. Nice. So and Silva would probably be on that mountain too, because uh, yeah, his oh, yeah. his face don't move a whole lot either. <laughs> <laughs> it's gonna be a good week, man. Yeah, it's gonna be awesome. <laughs> 
So we're going to say our goodbyes again. Make sure to check out uh, popsyndicate.com. Check out all the shows over there. A lot of our friends over there, our sister shows, Outside the Cinema, Cinema Diabolica. Uh, make sure to check out Andy at Destroy the Brain at DestroyTheBrain.com or DestroyTheBrainOnline.com, one or the other like that. Uh, Chinstroker versus Punter guys, make sure to check them out. Uh, uh, Mondo Movie, make sure to check those guys out as well. Uh, also, our voicemail is 206-666-5207. Our email is MidnightCinema at gmail.com m-i-d-n-i-t-e cinema at gmail.com again check out Paracinema Magazine and here's the reason why you want to check out Paracinema Magazine at Paracinema.net we're going to be giving away over the next three weeks or so maybe next month we're going to be giving away issue five we've got three copies we're going to give away and one of them is the limited edition copy which I actually own a copy of of uh, They Live it says no independent thought on it very awesome and uh, we want to give them away so what we want to do is if you are if you have left a review on iTunes and you don't actually subscribe or buy a Paracinema magazine, shoot us an email and let us know, and we'll throw you in the hat to draw for it. Now, we're not going to draw for the limited edition yet. We're going to save the limited edition because we're going to add something else for that prize pack. But uh, we are going to definitely give away some magazines. So you guys want to give it in, that, uh, you know, get the reviews in, send us an email, let us know, and we'll draw and we'll send out some magazines. And uh Get Paracinema out there more because it's a great magazine. More people need to be reading it. They absolutely do. It's a first-class magazine. It's the written equivalent of the Gentleman's Guide. Exactly. And also, uh, other than Paracinema, make sure to check out Sean over at HorrorCommentary.com. And make sure to follow us on Twitter. You can follow at Twitter.com slash GGTMC. That would be moi. And uh, Twitter.com slash LargeWilliam would be the other gentleman that we talked to on the show. <laughs> so Yes. So that would be, uh, you know, ways to contact us, way to talk to us, and things like that. Also, be looking for a new episode of Diabolical Radio featuring yours truly, the Sammy. Uh, I put one together, and hopefully that'll be out pretty soon. So keep your ear out for that. And that's about all I got. Uh, Do you want to you want to shut it down with some stuff? Yeah, I got two things. I will be doing also an episode of a Diabolical Sound in the future, bringing a little soul to the. Uh to the show, so uh, hopefully I can do that sooner rather than later. And the last thing, I meant to mention it last week, and I hopefully this gets out in time and you listen to it before it happens, but Edgar Wright's in town filming, um, oh, what is it, Scott... Uh, Scott Pilgrim. Yeah, Scott Pilgrim. Um, anyway, he's taking over the Bloor Cinema on the weekends, and he's screening some personal favorites. This upcoming weekend, he's screening a double bill on Sunday night, The Wanderers at 7 p.m., and one of my all-time favorite films at 9.30, The Warriors. Nice. Um, I'm going to be trying to get to that screening despite supposed to. I'm supposed to be working at that time. I'm going to try and swing it so I can get out of work a little bit early because it's my one shot to see one of my all-time favorites on the big screen. So they're screening that. They're going to be screening Five Fingers of Death. They just screened the story of Ricky a few weeks ago. So a <laughs> um, lot of good stuff. And if you guys are having problems finding the schedule, uh, just go to the Bloor Cinema website and it should be up there. Did you? Uh, have you seen The Wonders? No, never have. Nice. Might have to cover that on the show. I have that on DVD. We might have to cover that. Yeah, I'm, I like those uh, kind of 50s gang movies. That's a pretty good one. So, uh, All right, so that's pretty much all we got to say. And also make sure to check out, of course, Cinema Day Bazaar, uh, our partnership with them. We'll be trying to get that interview done at some point. We're running into some technical difficulties, but we'll be trying to get that done at some point and get that out there. But make sure to check them out, guys. A lot of good stuff over there, and we're hoping when we review these films and stuff, you guys will go over there and, and pick them up for a very decent price. And... Uh, that's about all we got. And 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 don't forget the promo code is gentleman to get you ten percent off your order. Correct, Amundo. All right. 
All right. So with all of that being said, hopefully we didn't forget anybody and uh, or anything, which we probably did, but who knows. Either way, I just want to say my fond farewell. Until next week, and adios. Adios. Thanks for listening. You can find the gentleman at ggtmc.com. You can call the gentleman at 206-666-5207. And you can email the gentleman at midnightcinema at gmail.com. yourself.